when you first got to the varsity football team at Ridgepoint High School, the Ridgepoint High School, who was the first person to kick your butt and welcome you to the varsity? Well, unfortunately, Coach, you were there to witness all of these in real time. I have film evidence, yeah. <laughs> yes, you experience. And, uh, you know, to my, you know, it is a long list, unfortunately. So yeah. it starts off when I got to varsity that first spring practice, um, the entire varsity O-line, pretty much. You have uh, Chris Williams, <laughs> you have Robert DuBose, you have Danny Woodard, Arian Ferguson, you yeah. know, the spearhead of all of it. Um, those guys, I mean, we, we switch over to a 3-4. You come to me, you ask me, hey, Mike, do you want to play nose? And I say, oh, well, that's not my first position, but I want to play. That was the answer you needed. I become a nose tackle. Um, and, yep, those guys double team me, ear hole me, and, yep, really, truly baptized me into becoming a varsity player. Um, so that was that first experience as far as teammates are concerned. And then, unfortunately, first opponent, first varsity game, there's a guy named Bailey Burton from Clear Creek. I remember. Yep. Well, I played for two years in a row. And uh, he was the type of he was the type of center that you want uh, on your football team. He blocked through the whistle, big legs, big forearms, big butt. And uh, he was going to try to embarrass you. I mean, that was his thing. Um, but, you know, all those guys and OGs are going to be a common theme throughout this episode and throughout my story. Um, all those guys, while they made it tough and, you know, they didn't make it easy on me, life isn't easy. And becoming a better player is not an easy experience, but, you know, it prepared me to be the player that I became and the, hu the human being that I'm becoming. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm just fine, I'm good enough. All right, welcome back to not just a brand new episode, it's a brand new season, y'all. This is season number two. Last week, we celebrated our one-year birthday. We celebrated our birthday last year, one year, 52 straight episodes. But here we got episode number 53. What better way to start off season two of the Team Player Podcast? We, we got proof of concept now. We made it. I don't think I don't think there's any haters or doubters on us or anything, but if there were, we proved them wrong. We <laughs> made it through the first year. What better way to than to welcome on the guy that actually got me into podcasting? This is one of my former players at Ridgepoint High School, a guy that I've kept in touch with all these years. We also host another podcast of our own, H Town Pick'em. So y'all check out our YouTube channel if you're into that. We have a video uh, podcast as well where we pick high school games. Now we're picking Roughnecks games, is keeping our skills sharp. Uh, but this guy motivated me. He he began podcasting. And really a guy that was kind of mild-mannered and kind of quiet. And I think all of us, our eyebrows kind of raised up when we heard, Obi's doing a podcast? And sure enough, it was really good. I started listening week after week after week. And I said, you know what? I got to get off my butt. I listened to his interview with Jay Fan, another former player. And they're just doing so many great things. And I was like, if these young, you know, just these young men that are like just so motivated and, and ambitious can, you know, if they're getting up and doing it, like, why can't an old man like me do it too? So I, I did it. I'm so thankful. I've, I've enjoyed this journey. Well, without any further ado, 
he is now a coach and I'm proud to say that he is a coach. And I, you know, I feel like maybe our conversations had something to do with him coaching, but he is a coach at Nolan Ryan junior high in my former home of shadow Creek. And so I definitely, I've run that track many a times that old dirt cinder track. I, I love that track, but he's a coach at Nolan Ryan junior high, my former player, my good friend, Mike Obi, welcome to the show. Coach Calvo. Uh, thank you for the kind words, obviously. And, uh, you know, our paths crossed um, many a times since I've graduated, but I'm glad to be here. I'm extremely proud of the fact that you've been able to get through a year already. I feel like just yesterday you reached out to me to uh, ask me about podcasting. And, you know, that made me feel good knowing that I was just the guy kind of still trying to get the show off the ground. But, you know, you reach out and you're like, hey, I love what you do. I love how you're doing it. Can you help me? And uh, all the lessons you've given me being my coach, it was kind of, it was kind of it felt good to flip sides and me be the coach in podcasting. And now, yeah. you know, I'm a coach and trying to instill my blueprint and my imprint on, you know, this next generation of young people. But I'm happy to be here and thank you for having me. No, man. And if you're enjoying these stories as much as, as I am and Obi's a fan of the show, if you're enjoying it, uh, please give us the rating. It takes just a moment. And we've got 49 now on Spotify. So who's going to be the 50th? If you're listening and you have not rated us, go to Spotify and give us that five-star rating. You'll be number 50. We've got 27 on Apple Podcasts. So not too bad. And we haven't gotten many written reviews recently. It's been a while since I've read one on the show. So please, if you'd like to leave a written review, I read those on the show. You, what I like to do with podcasts, I hit the follow button and I subscribe. And that way, every time a new episode comes out, it'll be in your queue ready to go. And so we release these every single Sunday. We've done it for 52 weeks in a row. This is going to be 53. Uh, so please do that. Support the show. I don't know. If, I don't think we have like the biggest listener base, but the, the fans of this show are loyal. And I it makes my day every time I get a text from some from a listener saying, Kobo, man, that was a great show. That show was fire. You know, it's like, I love that. So just spread the word. I, I do think that these stories are compelling. I love listening to them. And so I think there's so many people that benefit, whether you're a coach or not. So please, if you're a listener, tell somebody, tell somebody and just, and let, and let, let them get into this uh, team player podcast community. Uh, Cause you know, we just love it here. Okay. Now backing up to some of your, your intros there, a couple things, those, those guys in the Ridgepoint O-line. Yeah. Shout out Coach Fisher. He's a team player alum, O-line coach. He gets those guys playing physical. And I remember our spring balls were one of the most physical displays I've ever seen. The Ridgepoint High School spring football practices were extremely physical. And it's one of those things for maybe people that haven't played sports or on the outside look in. Like, yes, your teammates, at the end of the day, like whenever we go play Marshall or Elkins or whoever, we're all Ridgepoint, but – in those spring balls, to me, it did feel like offense versus defense in a way. Like, it, they, they weren't our friends at that moment. I'm just curious for you as a player, like some of those battles you had, and def those guys definitely tested you. Coach Sniffen tested you, our head coach. I remember him calling you out, questioning your manhood and toughness and challenging you, and, like, I think we did even some one-on-ones kind of things, or he threw you out there and, and wanted you to compete and pushed you and pushed you. So those two questions I have on that. Okay. Number one, the relationship with your teammates. What was that yeah. like kind of getting into almost fisticuffs on the football field? And what was it like when you went back into that locker room? Let's start with that. Like, so what was it like in the spring ball when you're, you're competing hard against the guys that are your brothers, but they're also your competitor at this moment. What was it like, like after we go inside and, and you become locker room buddies again? Well, I'm curious what, what, the, what was that transition like? You know, you hit the nail on the head, actually. Um, it, especially with that first spring ball when I was a freshman going into my sophomore year, it was not friendly at all. It was almost like offense versus team. It, it felt like two different teams. Right. Coach, it felt like offense was a whole different school. Football and I think that's team. by design, right? I think Coach Stiffen, yeah. you know, I, most coaches and Coach Stiffen give him credit. Like he wanted that 
animosity, I think, because you raise the competitive level. We're not brother-in-law on each other and just walking through, right? I mean, Absolutely. And so you had that, then the defense had our side also, and it, it felt like two different football teams, like two different, like almost like us in Hightower, us in Elkins, like having to face each other in scrimmage every single day. Um, so definitely there was a lot of animosity. I think <laughs> While I got along with those guys, um, I mean, they did not want it to be easy. I think Coach uh, Coach Nippon and Coach Fisher really made it a point that, you know, whether we, we really got to test this guy, we got to put this guy under immense pressure. He could turn out to be a diamond in the rough, but the only way we figured that out is if we push him every single day. I think Coach Sniffin knew I was a mild-mannered guy, so the way to get the nasty streak out of me was to literally push me to the brink as much as he could. Um, you know, yeah. you're right. You know, he used to say things that he knew would get under my skin, and that yeah. was all. Um, you yeah. know, luckily, I have an older dad, you know, as far as uh, being a veteran. And, you know, my dad did the same thing for me. So, you know, I knew how to not take it personally and that it was all competitiveness. And uh, for me, I mean, the locker room getting back in there, I mean, it's, it's, it's love, but it is also still a little bit of a robbery in there, too, once we got back in there. It was a lot of trash talking, but I think you guys did a good job um, of running it back in and understanding once spring ball was over, hey, we're all one team, we're all one family, we're all one brotherhood, so we got to leave that spring ball in the past. Um, but you but you are right, spring ball was one of the more competitive things. I mean, and I think it's good. I think that's good in nature. I think that's good for your team. I think that's good for morale, knowing like if practice is that hard, then the game shouldn't be. And the opponent really can't test you that much. Um, you know, especially once you get better, once the the overall team collective talent gets better. Um, I think that'll be good. And um, you guys have the competitiveness. You guys are battle-tested. Everything's physical. Everything's tough. And then you couple that with talent. I think it's very – that's a recipe for a successful team. I agree, man. I hear so many, like, you know, great – I listen to a lot of podcasts and hear, like, NBA superstars. And they, they always talk about, like, the really good ones that win championships. Like, the practice was harder than the game, you know? And I felt that way at Ridgepoint sometimes. Like, so some of the, the hardest offense for us to defend a lot of times was Ridgepoint. In, in our when we good on good one on one or during spring ball. And uh, I totally agree. Where to, to me, the games almost felt not they weren't easy, but like we went through such a grinder uh, against ourselves. And I think that's a testament to Coach Sniff and the way he ran the program, that level of, of competitiveness. But I'm, I'm curious uh, for you, you're a young coach. This question just popped into my head as far as the locker room situation. If I remember correctly, the mm -hmm. offense and defense were in separate locker rooms. Yes. You know, and I'm just curious for you how you felt about that. Um, whether if it's possible to put like the varsity into one locker room, because when, when I played high school football, like the varsity, we were all together, offense and defense, but mm -hmm. we did a little bit different at Ridgepoint. I'm just curious for you as a, as a player that lived it. Do you feel mm -hmm. like that was a good idea, you know, to keep the really, we built a lot of camaraderie defensively and so did the offensive course, because we were just together in a locker room, but do you prefer that model or like a all varsity together in one locker room? I prefer an all varsity together and all in okay. one locker room if you can manage it because it's better for camaraderie. We had JV all in one locker room. We had freshmen all in one locker room. When you get to varsity and then all of a sudden you split the team in half, I feel like that can kind of fracture the chemistry because yeah. it, it, if you if you don't have coaches that really can manage it, then it can become too much of offense versus defense where everybody starts to forget the big picture that we're all one team. So I think – I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was no, saying, like, you know, if I remember correctly of Coach Sniff and the reason why, and I, I think it was just a space issue. We, we we were not blessed with, like, the biggest facility. And I think it was just something where he, you know, he did the numbers, and he's like, man, if we do this, like, it's going to be extremely cramped for this varsity. So he's like, let's just spread out the varsity. These kids have earned it. Let's give them more space. Because our defensive locker room, if I remember correctly, there were, like, space open lockers where, like, you kind of had, like, 
open spaces next to you. You know what I'm saying? Like you weren't right next to somebody. So I'm sure th I mean, that was the reason, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. If, if all things were, if you had a bigger locker room, you, you're saying like, it's nice to get everybody in there. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the thing we, I, I think we all kind of understood the spacing, you know, we just, yeah, that you know, was nice. You probably appreciated that part. huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for us, I think it was good as far as keeping our defense close and keeping the offense close. You know, you have your, yeah. you, if you're a running back, you get to see your uh, old line, you get to talk to them, you get to talk to your wide receivers. And then on defense, you have all your defensive guys, your D line with you, your linebackers. I think that's how you guys separated it too. You put all the D linemen for the most part. Yeah close vicinity you put the linebackers in close vicinity right. backs and so i think that would i think that's a good design if you are going to split them up at least you put everyone by position group um and you do it that way that way every unit has their camaraderie their unit their chemistry and then you can build it as a collective um and then another concept i wonder what you think about this actually pose you back question what would you have said if you put all the linemen in one locker room and then you put skills in another locker room that's not that's really interesting you bring that up, and I almost think that maybe we kicked that around. Again, it's been many years, and I'm, my memory isn't the best, but I almost mm. think we kind of kicked that around maybe a little bit like a skills and bigs locker room, but mm. I'm not against that, man. I mean, I I think it's cool. I think, I think like like you said, though, which, whichever configuration you do it, it's all about the coaches managing the relationships, and the players also stepping up being leaders, but it, you're right. It's going to take uh, attention to detail as far as the coaches making sure that it doesn't become – lineman versus skill or offense versus defense at the end of the day we're all pulling the rope you know the same direction yeah. but let me ask you this question man because i know you, you you're real big on on the next generation both through your podcast before you got into coaching and especially now that you're in coaching you're real mm -hmm. big on mentoring the next generation let's mm -hmm. talk about hard coaching yeah. you know at least on social media or what people you hear people saying they say today's generation is soft and yeah. they quit more easily and they don't take well to coaching i, I don't i don't know that that's necessarily true but I, i'm also not coaching currently i mean i I hung up the whistle in 2015. I'm still at games all the time. So I'm watching as a fan and observer and broadcaster, but I'm not in there. And so my question to you is, to me, good coaches, and you see this all the time. You see memes of like Nick Saban chewing somebody out. Like Coach Sniffen did that for you. Yeah. You know, he really got after you. He really got after me. And I think anybody that remembers that was at Ridgepoint probably like, damn, does Coach Co Sniffen like hate Coach Kovo? Because I mean, it was a lot of like verbal back and forth in these intense practices. And, yes. you know, as a defensive guy, it was really fun when we went against him. We'd, we'd stuff a play. You see, like, the papers go flying up in the air. <laughs> and the offensive coach is getting mad and Coach Sniffin throwing a conniption. But that was fun for us. But at the same time, like, I mean, we would get yelled at, challenged. I think some of the – I think that I again, I think that was by design. I know it was yeah. by design because Coach Sniffin would have candid conversations with me. He's a Kobo. I know I'm hard on you, but I'm, I'm that way because I, I know you can take it and I trust you. And also he was pushing me. And I think that that dynamic of him yelling that way at myself or some of the defensive players like yourself, it almost it created that us versus them mentality where I could sense certain players on the defense were like, oh, hell no, he ain't going to talk to you like that, coach. Like, we got your back. I mean, I know some of them said that to me. You know, That's you right. think of a guy like Dre or JJ or something like they They were like, let's shut the offense up today. <laughs> and so yeah. anyhow, I was able to take it. I took it. I got better. It just challenged myself at every attention to detail. Cause like if I, if I made a mistake somewhere, I knew it was going to be exposed. And so it was extreme attention to detail preparing you guys. You took it as a player and you led on to a great career for us at Ridgepoint, help us win a district championship and, and advance up, have a perfect season until we all know how that ended. But what's your advice for that? For kids taking hard coaching. Cause sometimes it does it. We're, we're human beings. Yes. Mm -hmm. It felt like a personal attack on me many times. I felt yeah. personally attacked or humiliated, but at the same time, I understood the underlying reason. 
what what would you say for this generation of kids when when a coach does get in your ass and coach you hard? What's your advice on how to handle that? Man, man, that's a really good question, Coach Kovo. Um, so my personality and my demeanor. First off, I'll start with my dad was the type to show tough love. Yeah. Right. So when I got it from my dad, I didn't understand it. Um, I think first of all, what a guy asked a guy or girl, whoever uh, this is, what you have to understand is that um. Usually the tough the tough coaching comes because they know that your personality is one that you can respond from it and that they feel like you're correct. Right. The one yeah. thing I tell my players now is no matter what how the message is said, get the message, not don't get the sound of the message. Don't take the how the message is being portrayed. Try to take what it is that they're saying. And that's hard. It's easier said than done. Absolutely. It was easier said than done for me. Right. What I had to try to understand was, hey he wouldn't say anything to me if he didn't care. Right. The second a coach is not speaking to you, then you, then you truly lost. Yes. Right. The yes. second they just let you go out of by, I remember that was a life lesson that my dad told me and most of my early coaches told me. And then even I tell kids now when, when a coach is not speaking to you anymore, then they've truly given up hope. So if a coach chews you out, try to take a deep breath, try to breathe and try to think, okay, what is it that they wanted me to understand what did they want me to get at right and then <clears throat> try to respond based accordingly try to do your best and then if you really feel like something bothered you try to go speak to the coach after don't try to go at the coach because i think that's that's one of the things is correct um, players will try to say no my pride hurts so i have to respond it's not the right time and place to respond that's a gem moment, that's a gem especially yeah especially because, you know, you guys are emotional. You're in the heat of battle. You're in the heat of competition. So try to breathe. Even if you don't like how that goes, you go talk to the coach after it. And then, you know, I, I, I'm i sure that, you know, whichever coach will do that, um, we'll be able to sit back and say, hey, I didn't mean it that way. This is what I really was trying to get at. Sometimes this is the way I portray the message. Um, if that doesn't go that way, then you go to maybe another adult, maybe another coach on the staff. Hey, what did Coach Sniffin mean? Like for me, if I knew if I couldn't go to Coach Sniffin, I can go to Coach Kovo. And Coach Kovo wasn't the type to throw Coach Sniffin on the bus. They're all trying to get the same message to me. So then Coach Kovo would be able to explain, no, this is what we're really trying to get from you. And then from there, you're going to put yourself in a better situation and a better uh, opportunity for success. That's what I would say. Don't panic. Don't go spur the moment don't get don't try to listen to respond listen to think learn and then try to um, adjust and adapt that's all great you dropped some serious gems right there let's recap a couple things that i heard from that as far as like you know if you came to me you know you get chewed out by coach sniff and you're hurt you know players come they, they come to me because they feel like i'm their direct leader you know i always had coach sniffins back and you just verified that and I, that's why it's great this is a team player podcast like that's how i felt is like i believe there's a respect for authority and a chain of command and so, yeah, even if I had just gotten my ass chewed out and coming off the practice field and you, would, you know, it's like, it's always like, hey, I would say, hey, Co Obi, he's, he's doing this for a reason. He's challenging. And the same thing I'd say to other right. players, you know, whenever we get yelled at as a defense, like coach is challenging us. We got to rise to the challenge. And I look back on it. If coach seven had just been all fuddy duddy, oh, you're doing a great job, Kovo. And it's, I would have relaxed. Exactly. I would have just relaxed and it wouldn't have been the same high level of preparation. He always had me on edge. I mean, that man always had me on edge. And I think that was by design. Now, of course, just looking back on it, though, we are human beings. I think the balance lies if you are going to be a hard-driving coach like that. You still got to let people know that, that that you do care. And I think yeah. he did a good job of that, but you have to you always have to watch for that balance. It's very mm -hmm. important. You cannot just completely come at people all the time and not show me love, too. You know? Mm -hmm. And that's one to his credit. Coach Stephen always said, 
he would tell us because he one thing he was really good about was like do not sit around in the coach's office after practice mm-hmm. he's like we i don't want you just sitting in here talking to the to each other go out there and talk to the players after they you know they come out of the shower and they're heading off to get on the bus or go home or whatever and he said mm-hmm. if, especially if you choose somebody out if you choose somebody out hard at practice you make sure you catch them coming out of the locker room and put your arm around them and and it, and give him give him a deposit there, right? Of, of positivity. Now, did he do that for you? I'm just curious. Like after those hard two outs, did he find you or did he not? No, he did not. Well, coach. I mean, coach made him see, and that's where you know he, just, he missed you on that one because that, that that's what he always told us. And maybe that was more for us as assistants. Mm-hmm. It probably was more falling on Coach Dober, where Coach Dober, you saw Obi get his ass chewed out today. Make sure you lift him up before he goes home too, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think. Um... More importantly than that is if I was a coach, um, a head coach, let's say, or an AC, and I knew my demeanor, right, was one where I'd be a little bit tougher on kids by design, I would make sure that my assistant coaches were were counterbalanced, right, especially your assistant head, right? Uh, Coach Sniffin was kind of the butt chewer, and then Coach Darnell and Coach Cobo, his two uh, coordinators were a little bit more mob-mannered, and then Coach Darnell could step in and be the butt chewer if, you know. Uh, I was just going to say that. Totally agree. Darnell had the mixture, perfect mixture of both. That's why he's district coach of the year at Clements. I mean, he's He's really good at mixing both. so it's all about having in and in and balance. Um, and, and and sometimes you miss players, you know, um, you may not realize or you may not have seen it as a butt chewing. Um, and True. so you don't you don't feel the need to maybe you feel like oh, that was just me talking to him. That's another uh, good point, Obi. That's a great point you brought as a coach. Like sometimes I may make a comment that's just a correction that I don't even think it's hurting the player emotionally or mentally. You know what I mean? You may be, it just may be an off the cuff comment to me and I don't even think about it. But the player, it's that that's what he's thinking about driving home. You know, so as, I like that. You should do temperature checks and watch your player's demeanor. And if you see somebody like, you know, hey, Mike, what's wrong, man? Come come over here. Let's let's just chat, right? Like, yep. you, know, you, you feel that way? Like, just try, try to keep absolutely. your pulse on the. Absolutely, because, uh, and this is, I think, the good thing about me coaching junior high first is that, you know, they always talk about it at 13, 14 years old. Um, they're at the 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 real beginning of them having the emotional mood swings, right? Right. Sure. So because of that, by design, um, you know, I'm an assistant coach. Uh, after practice, I always make sure, or if I have the kid in class or whatever the case may be, I always try to, you know, just check in, like, hey, how are we doing? Uh, just not even about football. Is, are you okay? Are, are we doing all right? Or you know, sometimes I joke with them if I I, I try to. And this takes some investment and it takes a little bit of extra work, you know, as a coach is part of the reason is part of the job, but you know, you have to really get to know your players and get to know their personalities. Yep. There are certain players that, you know, they, they want you to put your arm around them and they want you to kind of check in and just make sure that they're okay as a human being. Right. And so with that, my approach with those type of players is a little different. It's a little bit more mild mannered, a little bit more, Hey, are you okay? Did you have a good day at school? You know, that type of thing. Are you happy? And then there are other kids that are a little bit more mild mannered where you can kind of talk. So not like an adult, but, you know, just kind of, hey, good. All right. You understand everything. Cool. And you don't have to say too much to them. Um, I'm not too much of a butt chewer. Um, you know, my my philosophy is kind of like a philosopher. I kind of just give them gems and get them to understand the assignment. And then when I need to chew them out, I'll chew them out. But even with that, like you said, with every time I chew them out, I always make sure to do a temperature check or make sure to check in with them you know, after practice or even, you know, if I can catch them in passing, you know, I'll do it that way as well because it's all about having a balance. Uh, kids are very impressionable. And so, therefore, you have to understand that you can't – for me, I think the mistake that gets made is wanting them to be different. Like, you have to be different. You can't be that way. No, kids are the, who they are, and you have to take them as such. 
right? Now you can kind of help them and mold them, right? Into being a better player. Like for me, I had to be molded into having thick skin, which I already had. But even with taking the tough criticism, like I was a person who knew how to adapt, but not every player has that. So I don't assume things. I just take it as such and I keep on rolling with it. No, man, I, I love all of that. Now, let's let's tell the story when I first met you and your memory is awesome. So you're probably going to fill in some of these blanks that I have. But I think <laughs> it was like at the very beginning of the year, yeah. maybe we had some kind of function, you know, like a, a, a team, meet the team and have some dinner and stuff. And. It, it was late. You were the last kid to be picked up from my memory. You're the last kid sitting in the weight room. And I, I want to say it was either myself and Coach Ruthart or yeah, myself and Coach yes. Dover. But you're, you're nodding your head to Ruthart. So myself yes. and Coach Ruthart. And you were yes. just kind of sitting out there. And I, I got to admit, man, you, you were really funny that day. Like, you just came in and you were – we were kind of joked later. Like, it felt like we're talking to a 40-year-old man. You just came in. I almost, almost picture you, like, crossing your leg like an old man. <laughs> you know those new, like, insurance commercials, like, you're becoming oh, your yeah. parents. Like, that was you, I felt like. And you came in and you just, like, spewed your life story to us. You, yeah. That's why you're such a good podcaster. I mean, you, you talked, like, nonstop, I feel like, for 45 minutes. I learned that you're from Pearland originally. Your brother yeah. Bernard was a star Pearland oiler, and he played for UTEP football. And you just – you talked and talked and talked, and we just loved it. And so instantly – me and Ruth, I were like, oh, man, we're glad this kid's a freshman. He's hilarious. Like, we love this kid. Like, we can't wait for these next four years. But yeah. let's talk about your background. So I know I knew you were from Pearland. You're a big Pearland guy. You you knew the history and tradition mm-hmm. of the Pearland Oilers. But you, it's it seemed like maybe you were living now where, where, where you grew up would now be zoned to Dawson. And so you would have been a, a Dawson Eagle. But then, of course, you moved to, to Ridgepoint as a freshman. Mm-hmm. So you did not go to Baines Middle School. You went, no. to middle, you went to junior high in Pearland. And so you started, like, brand new at the beginning of your ninth grade year at Ridgepoint. Is all that accurate? And then just kind of fill us in on, on your childhood. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's all 100% correct. So um, grew up in Pearland, Silver Lake, Shadow Creek area. Um, I, it's funny now, you look at the way Pearland looks, it, that didn't look how it was um, whenever I was growing up. It was a lot of grass, a lot of rural areas. Right. Through urbanization, you know, we have what uh, it looks like now. And I think that's been the case of many cities around uh, Houston. Um, third child to Bernard and Ify. Um, I'm a Nigerian American, mm-hmm. so I have that background and that uh, immigrant background, that uh, immigrant culture of uh, Nigerian Igbo tribe. Um, yep. and you know, yeah, I mean, with with three siblings, you have a lot of older people watching over you. Um, two older siblings, one younger. My dad and my mom. You talk about me being a 40 year old man. I get the joke <laughs> all the time of you're the oldest young person I've ever met. You know, yes. I get that. And, that, and that goes to uh, me having parents who um, you know, really, really are veteran and mature, and um, yeah. dad especially. And so, um. Yeah, I grew up in the, in this area. Um, it was an interesting childhood because my parents worked a lot, so um, relied largely on my older siblings to raise me. Um, and then there, my brother went to college, and so when he went off to college, it was um, you know I'm older sister, and then she went off to college, and then it was a lot of not figuring things out for yourself, but you don't have older siblings. So can I ask you about your relationship with your brother real quick? Because I want to know what that because Pearland was like the shit at that time and you know going to stay and he was a star defensive yeah. end what was that like having a superstar older brother i mean your brother didn't say he's like six four six five i mean this is yep. an incredible it's athlete was yeah. it something to where like you idolized him and looked up to him or was it also something where there was like a, a amount of pressure where you know probably those same coaches coached him a couple years before and now they're they're like expecting you to also be a six five you know superstar like was, was there pressure 
was there that kind of thing or just what was that relationship like having a, a star brother on a star team that's a good question it was a bit of a mixture so um, bernard is six three six four he ran a four six as a defensive Ooh. tackle right so yeah you should y'all should have moved early i guess we wouldn't have had him anyway we would we yeah, missed yeah. out but that would have been great to have him <laughs> run around in purple yeah and so um yeah with that he was a natural athlete but he yeah. worked hard and very competitive uh you know and so with that um a lot of his coaches from Pearland whenever uh coach wells was at Pearland and half of that staff went over to Dawson and so then whenever I got around to going to high school um they knew who I was they knew who he was and they're like oh you're Obi's brother so we expect big things from sure. you yep um, as far as um expectations my parents didn't have the expectations. They wanted me to kind of go my own path. I felt the need to be my own person, you know, because what I didn't want was, oh, you're going to be like your brother. And I was like, nah, I'm my own individual person. Our life experiences are much different. We're, we're much different people. And so I wanted to be looked at largely as Mike and not as Bernard's brother, right? There, there yeah. was that. Um, now, that's that's easier said than that. Like, for some people, they want to live up to their siblings' expectations and others, they don't. It was never a thing I had against them. It was just sure. I wanted to be looked at as my own football player because – Can, can I ask you about your parents real quick? Because you brought that part up. And I always found it unique. I mean, your parents were great, obviously very professional, successful. But I remember yeah. there were a couple of occasions where you had situations where they, they were kind of – flirting with you removing you from football or like not wanting you to put on the weight that you felt like you need to put on to play nose guard effectively and things like that and I always it always just and I'm not questioning your parents at all because I think they're awesome but I'm, I, it just always struck me as a little bit strange I'm like you saw Bernard in this path of like football has been so great for him and I'm just wondering I always wonder why they held you uh to kind of that those expectations I <laughs> just something always kind of struck me well, you know, so for me, one thing you always talk, I always talk about is middle child, right? So sure, sure. Um, there's a big age gap, seven years between Bernard and myself. And so right, right. what happens is, uh, and we're Nigerian. So w with Nigerian families, there's this running thing that, you know, kids who grew up here talk about where they don't understand American culture. Um, and so what happens is that they they don't look at football the same way American families look at it. You, you ask most Nigerian uh, kids, they'll tell you the same thing. Right. Right. But they they looked at football as a possible distraction rather than an opportunity. Sure. sure. Right. Yes. Bernard played college football. Yes. Bernard um, was able to excel as football, but they didn't see me as that. Right. They saw me more as a student who could play football and football was a way for you to lose weight and sure. to shape right so and so you are a really good player but it's i guess he i guess they just saw him as a phenom being six foot three and so like okay we'll let him go more football but obi you, you focus on your studies you know right exactly. mike you know yeah, yeah exactly I get it. so yep. there was that um and then also you know with, with the grade stuff you know grades tend to you know and they i still have good grades but you know every yeah, now and great grades yeah you know, every now and again, you know, C would pop up on a progress report and yeah. they'd blame on football. They'd be like, oh, no, football is the reason that's the distraction. That's what got your brother. And so then, therefore, they're like, hey, if you don't get this right, you need to quit. You know, that was always that was always on the back of my mind since I sure. started, you know, as, as, a, like, as a son of a Japanese mother. I can relate, Obi. I mean, I think a lot of immigrants, you know, I know Nigerians, Japanese. I mean, their education is the priority, you know, and uh, so I, I, I understand, Obi, you know, and, and I applaud parents like that. I yeah. applaud parents like that. I think you should definitely push education, but at the same time, like athletics is so important too. And so I would, I, I'm so glad you, you did, you did what you need to do. You stayed on the team, but I, that would have been heartbreaking if you would have had to leave Ridgepoint football. I mean, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, and it's one of those things being older now, I get it, 
right? That they did, they just didn't want me to, you know, let my grades win. And they it didn't was the equivalent me. of coach sniffing, coaching you hard, right? I mean, it was them yeah. knowing that you love football. So they held that carrot over your head. Like, if you want this thing that you love, you got to get those grades up. And so they pushed yeah. you. That's good parenting. No, it is absolutely. And um, I mean, even, you know, um, I tell my kids at my school all the time, hey, you can't play, no pass, no play. But it's but it's bigger than that. You don't take care of business, whether you want to play and get a scholarship once you get to high school or not. You're not going to get that if you don't take care of business. So I, I take the great stuff out of it. If you don't learn how to take care of business, if you don't learn how to take care of your responsibilities, whatever those might be, whether it's your grades, whether it's chores, whether it's handling an assignment, whether it's handling a task, you have to learn how to be accountable, period. And that's the thing that I, I was able to learn and take away from it. Now, it wasn't easy and it was frustrating having to hear that all the time, you know, being transparent with you. But um, it, it's one of those things. It, it taught me how to be resilient. It taught me how to be accountable. And, you know, it taught me how to prioritize things the right way. Um, and then just as far as like, you know, my relationship with Bernard, you know, it was never a resentment thing, but it is. It, it did kind of come up like, why do I have to be different or why do I get held to it seem like a stricter standard like of you guys let him play but with me every every waking moment it was hey you might have to quit you might have to quit right, and I think sure. that's that's sure. not healthy from the standpoint for parents listening it's not healthy yeah. because then a, a kid especially if you're not the type like coach uh Kobe was talking about to explain why you're doing it a kid right. can grow resentful and then right, that right he or she can tend to harbor that on you know rather than say look the reason why we're doing this is to make sure that you understand responsibility, make right. sure you understand that you have to take care of business. If you don't get that and then the kid has to figure it out for himself, he can take it the wrong way. You know, especially we look at um, social media being a big influencer right now, right? Mm -hmm. You have people on social media who could influence your child and say, hey, that's toxic parenting, that's bad parenting. And that's, that's, that's a threat that, that people go through today. So you have to make sure that you're communicating at all times, you know, and you have to really be a present parent. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, you 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 let you risk your your child falling around down the rabbit hole of you know getting the message being taken the wrong way. You know, one thing for me was I had a lot of older friends, older adults who were able to kind of rein in my parents' message, and that's why I didn't go down the wrong path. But that's why I was able to take it because. I had a uh, coach Martinez when I was playing youth football who was able to kind of rein in my parents. But no, nah, they, they they got the right message. They got the right idea. I promise you they're doing it for your better. Yep. Man, then uh, there was a coach Dines when I got to junior high, same thing. We used to explain like my dad being tough was just out of him wanting me to be successful. So, yeah. And then you get the high school coach Covo, you know, same thing. Coach Darnell, coach Fisher and the like. So, it it, ta it takes a village to raise a child. They say that all the time, and it couldn't be farther from the truth. Totally agree, and that's a big reason I have this show. I don't I don't understand why some parents are combative with the coaches. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, man these these men and women are like the godsends. Like you, I, I I love coaches. I can't wait for my son to grow up and be coached by the great coaches in this state. You know, and like I just said, that's why it, it should not be an adversarial me versus the my kids coaches like it should be worked in this together and so yeah. I'm, I'm with you 100 man I, I your parents we can see what they were doing i love the gem that you dropped though like maybe looking back on it if they had like just packaged it a little bit where they were explaining to you some of the rationale it probably would have been even a little easier for you but at the end of the day that's the thing now that i've become a parent our parents did the best that they knew how to do at the time yeah. right so there's you know that they're, they're everyone's doing their best but yeah I, I think that's a good gem you dropped 
one other thing is there are certain people, there are certain parents, let me just say, there are certain parents who believe that you're not owed an explanation, right? Sure. Well, well, the, the only thing I say to that is, but then if you don't explain it, you let someone else explain it and you let someone else give them the messaging and the messaging could be lost. That's what yeah. you risk. So you Fire. Have that's a good gem. It's another one. You have. So, to I totally agree with you on that one. Don't skip steps. I might not be a parent, but I mean. You're prepping I, yourself, man. You're going to be a good one. You're going to be a great <laughs> dad one day. I can already see that. But let's dive into this part. This is going to be some. So, this is going to be a Ridgepoint hour here. So people that are might want to fast forward through this if you don't want to hear it. But we're going to talk Ridgepoint. I know the Ridgepoint coaches that listen are going to love it. Maybe some former players that listen. You maybe If you're a rival of Ridgepoint, if you're one of the guys we played against, maybe you want to hear some of this, a peek behind the curtain. This oh, is yeah. Team Player Podcast History. This is my first former player that has come on to the team player podcast. So this is pretty cool. As far as my recollection, I think you are the first one, uh, former yeah. player of mine, uh, that it, that has come on to the podcast. Now you're coaching. But let's let's talk about point. So you get there mm-hmm. as a freshman. Um, you, to, everything that I always would hear is, you know, Siena is almost like a small town, it is. That, that community. You know, and because it, it is kind of off of Highway Six, so you don't really need to leave Siena. You have your HEB, and you have all your food, and dentist, and doctor, and all that kind of stuff. So you don't really have to leave. So I felt like that the kids growing up through Baines Middle School, or whatever, and you know, and um, I forget the name of, of the schools, like Santa Crossing Elementary and Scanlon Oaks, I think was one of maybe. So all those schools, like they, they've been together for a long time. I remember Andrew Molina. His dad would always famously say, like, they're like the first family in yeah. Siena. So yeah. you know, a lot of longtime families there. So for you, and this is just something for people that move a lot or, or have to move, mm-hmm. I moved in, I moved halfway through my eighth grade year. I went to Sugarland Middle School. I would have been a Kempner Cougar. And mm-hmm. then I moved uh, to new territories. So I became an Austin Bolt. I went, became a Garcia Gator for a semester. Then I, be, just like you, was kind of a new kid at Austin High School. Mm-hmm. Just like you, fell in love with football, became all my friends through that for the most part, and had a great experience. Mm-hmm. Only bad part is, at the time when I moved, Austin was better than Kempner. But by my senior year, Austin went three and seven, and Kempner went ten and zero. So all yeah. those kids that I grew up with, I could have been a part of a ten and zero football team. Uh, and I knew <laughs> I was start on that team, and I was first team all district Austin. So I know I could have cracked that starting lineup at Kempner, even though they were awesome. Uh, but yeah. anyhow, I'm curious for you, and so for this applies to anyone when you when you're a kid and you have a kid that's moving. So for parents listening to have a you're, you're moving somewhere, you're trying to help your mm-hmm. kid transition. It's hard, you know. You didn't move far. I mean, you were just really down the road, but you moved to a new district, all new people. What was your experience like kind of integrating yourself into the Ridgepoint High School hierarchy of being a high school freshman? And uh, was it hard? What advice do you have for kids that are moving to a new place? It's a great question. Um, was it hard? It was It was different. It, was, it looked different. The community was different, a different school district, um, different rules, different regulations, different dress code. That was big. Right. Okay, uh, and 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 the reason being is that in Pearland ISD, there's a strict dress code. You have to wear polo. You have to wear khaki pants. That's kind of like Aldean then, where it's like they, you don't have a uniform, but you there are requirements. It has to be collared shirt and it needs to be like khaki style pants. So, yep. Khaki style pants. Yeah. Your your logo on your polo can't be bigger than a quarter. Um, You had to wear a belt. If you didn't have a belt, you got written up for it. You had to go get a string from the office and yep. they'd take your name down. Right. So it was that level of strictness versus in uh in Fort Bend, you basically almost wear what whatever you wanted, you know, with the with the exception of a few things and a few it, uh violations. It is interesting, isn't it? Right. So Pearland and Aldine are kind of taking the same formula. Fort Bend's a little looser, but Fort Bend was real strict on facial hair. I always remember that. Sure. Like, even and for that like was for annoying. Coaches. <laughs> 
coaches yeah. for a long time could not have facial. Because I remember my coaches in, in at Austin High School when I was a player were all clean shaven. As soon as yeah. summer hit and we'd go to the field house for summer workouts, they all had full yeah. beards. That's it. <laughs> I was just like, that's, that's awesome. It. But and that was different because in Pearland they didn't care about the facial hair. Interesting. They, so they went the other way on that. So they didn't care. Yeah. They they made you dress a certain way, but you could grow. But you, grow you beard, want or whatever you wanted. And it, and for me, I had a full beard in eighth grade, so it was one of those things. Like I wasn't used to shaving. Right. Right. So then, the, like the first week of school, they're like, "Yep, you got to go shave with the straight razor and you know shaving cream." And it was one of those things they were on you about it. So that was one thing. And then um, I moved. I think the time when I moved also was was what made it a little challenging. I moved the weekend like literally before school started. So that first semester, that first season, you ain't noticed. I was spending most weekends throughout the season and throughout that first semester going to Pearland every week and me and my dad would um go clean the old house to get it ready to sell um and you know we lived there for what 20 years them plus yeah. me 20 years so think about yeah. cleaning 20 years worth of stuff right out of the house um every weekend or sometimes during school days so that was what made the transition a little bit difficult was just um having to go home like so you get out of practice and then you don't get to go home. You have to go clean up for three, four hours, and then you come home and do your homework. You know, you right, can imagine sure. how that how that goes and how that wanes on you. But you know, luckily I was able to do it. I was able to integrate myself. Um, everybody at Ridgepoint for the most part was nice. Yeah, um, and along with most people, um, our class in particular, I think, um, had a pretty good collection of people and um, you know, personalities, good worldview. Um, in in, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say because your class really was special. And we kind of saw it coming. Now, you weren't a part. We didn't know about you until you got there. But, like, we saw the Baines kids of your class having yeah. success after success. And I think what a lot of people didn't really realize, and Coach Sniffen always tells this story, in the field house, and I don't know if Coach LeFevre still has this photo up there, but Coach Sniffen always had our first team photo. Mm -hmm. So it was basically a sophomore team. Like, a JVB team was our first team. We did not go straight into varsity play or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It was a motley crew of just – of guys. a lot of them didn't maybe didn't even continue on uh, – finishing as a senior perhaps but and coach Stiff and I literally not we called every single male in the campus that year for that first year we were knocking on doors just asking people hey you want to play football you know yeah and so I think a lot of people they've seen very sustained success obviously coach Sniffin gets the credit for that and also players and coaches but then coach LaFavors you know sustaining that and he always I have this I love about LaFavors he always says we walk on the shoulders of giants and that's very well said but he's like it's crediting the guys that came before he did LaFavors yeah. does a great job with that but Ridge Point's been so good for so long, so many straight district titles and this, that, and the other. I think mm -hmm. people assumed we just showed up and we were good. Oh, no. Before no. you got there, like, we were actually, we were kind of struggling. I mean, yeah. and even once you were there, when we started varsity, Clear Creek just kicked the shit out of us. They just punched us in the mouth. That was just such a tough first opponent, you know, yeah. and they were light years ahead of us at the time. We eventually got them. We got them. You know, Remus Bulmer showing up helped, too. I remember him. I just have pictures of him just running down the sidelines, scoring touchdowns. But um, oh, I'm just, yeah. I'm just curious. Like that component, we always tell people that maybe from outside Ridgepoint, it wasn't always roses at Ridgepoint. Like we, we took oh. some losses. Maybe once you got there, you were starting to see it's okay. It's turning around. But even while you were there, we took, we, we got handed a couple tough L's. And oh, so I'm yeah. just curious. Did from your player perspective, how did you feel? Did you when you stepped into Ridgepoint? Did you feel like? excited like i'm stepping because you're you're leaving pearland you're used to winning Were, yeah. did you feel that when you came where you're like oh yeah I'm, I'm in a good place we're gonna win some championships we're gonna win a lot of ball games here or are you kind of like eh, i don't know what's gonna happen i'm really curious <laughs> your thoughts on that 
Okay, so what I'll tell you this. Um, in the beginning, it was difficult because I was supposed to remember I'm coming from Pearland and I went to I was supposed to go to Dawson. Right. Dawson just got out of being in the state semifinal. They were, right. They hit the that scene Boston running. Team. Yeah. And then I knew the whole coaching staff. Then that year, my freshman year while I was at Ridgepoint, that was the year they go to the state semifinal again. Right. And then Pearland, I think, makes a deep run. That was right after Pearland won their state championship. Um, now, the one thing that gave me like confidence was like everybody in my grade from a Willis Ryder to a, a Torian, Stefan, Remus, they were like, hey, just don't worry. Hey, Mike, I know you're not from here, but I, I'm guaranteed with you and with all of us here, we're going to state. I'm market. Yeah. We're going yeah. to state. And so with that, I was like, oh, oh hell yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, so it's just it's only so that bravado though man and yeah. they talk like the teams that have the, like they believe in them and you you guys yeah. had that mixture where you just you believed you were gonna win yeah so um to answer your question when i first got to rich point it was one of those things like okay i'm new and i don't know anybody so i mean you go through that new kid type of thing and then you come from a place that's used to winning but one thing about rich point and fort ben i was like hightower i knew what hightower was because sure. I'm not used to seeing Pearland lose. I'm especially not used to seeing them get their teeth kicked in. And uh, the year that uh, in 09, when Hightower went to the state championship against Braylon Allen, Addison, is that Braylon? No, Addison? it was AJ Highsmith. 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 Yes, yes, yes. Darius Johnson. When I said that was the first time I ever saw Fort Bend football. And that was the first time I saw Hightower. I was like, who in the, who in the water are these guys? And why are they kicking their butt? So I was like, all right, I know what I'm getting myself in. So I'll be all right. like, we'll be all right. Um, and then from there, the transition was just about building a culture um, at Ridgepoint, which I, which I was like, that's a new challenge. It's different. And this is really where I can become my own person because now I'm not having to live up to anybody's legs. So you got to build it. Like, None of us know who Bernard Obie is. <laughs> so you're none not getting that. Yeah. <laughs> none of y'all knew. None of yeah. y'all cared. And that was good because for yeah. me, okay, now you got to, you got to build this up. That's the challenge now. Um, as far as being at Ridgepoint, um, you know, having older siblings, they used to say, "Yeah, high school is one of those things. It's gonna be, it's gonna come and go. It's gonna be yeah, a blur. Don't really get too caught up in making relationships." Um, and I think that was more so what caused me to like kind of be mild mannered and just kind of, all right, let me just get through this. It was just a period of time. Um, looking back at it, I think I, I should have probably. I, I'm not gonna say I wasn't invested, but. I, I think I could have gotten more invested earlier and then it would have made the experience even better because like one thing I loved about us when you talk about the student section, you know, I know you see the students Panther pack. Now, the <laughs> Panther pack and us going to games like I always say like that was the funnest like thing ever because nobody was too big to be there and cheer nobody was too big to be a student to be a fan like of of our teams and I think us having that support was really one thing I really enjoyed about being at RP um and one of the things that even now you look at it they still have that and then community support parental support everybody could go hang out with each other and um because Sienna was so it was so small and it was such a close-knit area everybody lived within 10 minutes of each other it helped us build camaraderie which I thought was a really good thing so I saw the transition totally. coming, but like you said, those early years, um, you know, from my freshman, sophomore year, with that first varsity year, it was not easy. You know, so everybody looks, like you said, everybody looks at Bridgepoint now and they're like, oh, there's there's all this winning going on. Nah, we had to take our lumps and uh, teams made it a point to try to make sure that they, like, you guys don't belong. You guys are not what you think you are. I and we're going to make it, we're going to make it a point to try to embarrass y'all, you know. I'll never forget, man, warming up on that field. 
against Clearwater Veterans Stadium. It's a man's game. That's exact. They were standing right at the fifty yard line, saying it's a man's game. It's a man's game. They just said it over and over and over again. And yeah. man, now the funny, the Ridge Point history, the first ever play from scrimmage for Ridge Point was a touchdown. Yep. Double the, pass. Ridge Point, do, do you remember who caught that touchdown pass? Double pass when uh, double Justin, pass when J- Justin Farrah to Matt Rubel, Matt Rubel to Mark Roman touchdown. Yeah, I love it. No, I love it, man. Great job. I knew you'd get that. But that, yeah. that was the first. And then, but we proceeded to then get our ass kicked. <laughs> so we jumped out to a seven nothing lead. And, you know, and OB, you talk about like, oh, go ahead, OB. Do you, have, do you have something to add on that? No, nah, I mean, it was one of those things. Uh, we, we, um, Clear Creek drives on us and like it's our first varsity drive. So we get back to the sideline and we're huffing and puffing. We're like, dang, yeah. this is fast. And then they're 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 heated at the fact that we got them with the trick play. And then they go on and score four times in a row. So yeah, and as you know, on OB talk about like the players getting you guys knew when you're just sophomores, you're like, this group wants to become seniors and ju- juniors and seniors, we're gonna be really good, which you did. But I mean, even as coaches, Coach yeah. Sniffin, I mean, obviously he had like I was. I was in my 20s. I was young, defensive coordinator. I didn't, I was not ready for that, let alone yeah. the players physically, like me. And mm-hmm. uh, man, I have nightmares of that game and that feeling of being completely helpless. And that was a big reason why our defense evolved. And we don't talk a lot of X's and O's, you know, but um, we'll talk a little bit about it. But we, we eventually moved to a 3 4 defense, feel like it'd be best fit for us. But I was real big. And this one, something we did that most schools don't do, and we mm-hmm. were able to do this because we're blessed with talent. We mm-hmm. never flipped our defense. We just had a left side and a right side. Yep. And because I did not want a situation where they're going fast, they're switching formations where we're getting confused. I just like, I just want to be lined up right. Yep. We're going to, we, Ridgepoint will never be misaligned. Ever, ever, since that, ever since that, we evolved our defense. Like we were just, we were always very easy to get aligned. And the, yep. we had good players. So the reason why people flip, of course, is if you've got like a bigger outside linebacker, you want him going against tight end. If you've got a smaller guy, you want him away from tight end. So it's like, but we were so talented and our players were so well-rounded we could get away with it. And that's a, that's credit to you guys, you know? Um, but anyhow, I, yeah, same recollections as you, man, we, we got better. Um, let, just one, the one technical thing I want to talk about now for coaches that listen, they, they like hearing some X's and O's one, one part of our defense. And we, we were uh, mostly based over Stratford. I always give coach Elliot Allen the credit. We were mostly taking the Stratford defense was the most part of it, but we did take yep. parts from Laporte uh, Katie, and then also Klein Collins. Those were the four that I would say were influencers to the Ridgepoint defense that eventually became the Ridgepoint defense. Um, mm-hmm. But I always tell the story, Coach Ruthard and I were young bachelors, nothing to do one night. We heard that there was a, uh, a, a GHF, Greater Houston Football Coaches Association Clinic uh, in Port Arthur, which is way almost in Louisiana, way east. And me and Ruthard had nothing to do after practice, so we drove out there. The only people that were at this clinic were the Port Arthur coaches because they were hosting it and the Stratford coaches because they were the speakers. Me yep. and Ruth thought were the only coaches that showed up to this. They were not affiliated, but it was great because I got a front row seat. And Elliot Allen, even though knowing we're going to be dis- – we, we, we play these guys. We're in District of Stratford. They're our rivals. They, they, they kicked our ass here before at Mercer Stadium. He shared everything with me. I asked all the questions that I had. I got, it. I got what I needed to know, and that was the basis. But Klein Collins, because you're a defensive lineman, I want to ask you about this. And this from the coaches may be interested in this technique. A lot of teams will crowd the line of scrimmage. Right, they want to crowd the line of scrimmage. They want to get penetration. We were just different. That's, we we had a different philosophy. I always mm-hmm. noticed when my brother at Travis High School played against Klein Collins. Like they are so far off the ball. I was like, that is so. I, I thought it was stupid. I was like, mm-hmm. you're giving up. Like you're easily going to get yardage. But what I found was Travis would run run high, so run power. Yes, you would never tackle him for a loss necessarily. 
but you'd always only get about give up one, two, three yards. Mm-hmm. I ended up really liking that. And the thing that we found, this is what I want to ask you about. We found that by backing up, our players could defeat blocks more easily and also could read pullers. And so we would do what we call plus one, where if you saw a pull, you know, you'd come over the top of that down block and get into where they're trying to run the play. And yeah, you were a master of that. You were really took to Coach Do- And Coach Dober gets the credit for, for uh, you know, building this technique. We had the idea that we want to play off the ball. We want to see pullers. We want to get over the top. Coach Dober refined the technique and taught you guys so good. And now he's yeah. now the defensive coordinator at Seven Lakes. But that's my one X is an O question. Our mm-hmm. technique of playing off the ball and especially like seeing pull, could you, you were seeing pullers, I feel like. I felt like you always saw the pullers yourself. You weren't yep. just, you didn't just need the line. The linebackers were calling it for you, but you saw yeah. it. Uh, so I'm just curious that that technique, can you describe for coaches that are listening, wanting a little bit X's and O's? Yeah. Well, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I like talking X's and O's. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree with it 100% because when you crowd the line of scrimmage, while people might think, okay, you can get off the ball easier, you also get it's easier for old linemen to get their hands on you, right? Especially right. if you're a defense like we were, where we had a lot of speed and skill, we weren't necessarily the biggest guys. You play off the ball, and now you can get you could read the play faster, which means you could pursue the ball quicker. Now you're not having to waste time wrestling with the old lineman, you can get to the ball. And what happens is while it might look counterintuitive to play off the ball, you actually meet them at the line of scrimmage and then they, they're running into a wall every single play, right? right. Especially yep. run blocking, right? Because the old lineman is trying to have to now go and chase you and then you can defeat the block easier. You can see their hands coming, you can see them coming and then you can get off the block with a little bit more ease as opposed to, you know, it's easier for them to hold if you're right there on top of them and you don't want to rely on the refs to blow the whistle for holding every play. Odds are they won't. So I liked it. Then, um, you know, Coach Dover teaching us what we called plus one, where you you see a, a puller and you have to cross face to make sure you fill the gap. And that goes to the credit of us watching film and us seeing it play out in real time. Yeah. The thing he taught us was when someone pulls, they essentially are creating two new gaps. Right. And that is true. So what you have to do is you have to make sure you fill one gap, the backer fills the other gap, and then everybody's back in place. So me understanding that anytime I saw someone go cross body, I was like, okay, you have to make sure you fill the gap because if not, you've opened the seam for him. Um, So I definitely love that technique. I love playing off the ball. For me, um, I was able to get to the ball faster. Even when double teams will come, I was able to say, okay, double team coming now, I have to slow down and hunker down. As opposed to what would happen is, when you play close to the ball, first off, you risk getting called for, uh, you know, neutral zone infraction, offsides more frequently. Yeah, you, good point. Great point. Great point. You're not thinking about it. You're just trying to get to the ball and you're trying to beat it. You get caught up with being held. And then also, uh, you don't see the person coming to down block. You don't see the person coming to double team as easy because we were so hard to down block. You guys were so good at defeating those blocks. You know, yeah. yeah. And you get that because when you play off the ball, you can see that comes to then you can brace yourself and be in position as opposed to when you're already engaged with a center and then you have a big guard coming and they got your whole side is exposed. It makes them easier to wash you down. And then they, they're they the whole open. Robert DuBose and Chris Williams taught me that. Yeah. And uh, Danny Woodard taught me that. So then when I'm backed up um, and when we backed up, it made it very hard to down block, to move, to get out the way. So definitely I agree with the technique. I agree with uh, Stratford's, you know, kind of technique of just being in place um, because it makes it makes defense simple. Yeah, you may not get as many explosive plays, as many TFLs, but you're always going to be in the right position. And as long as your defense understands that, as long as your defense, your D-line understands, okay, be in place, make sure you maintain gap responsibility, your linebackers understand where they fit, and then run fitting is much easier as opposed to when you're trying to attack and get up field, then you leave um, – 
you leave seams open for traps and then that's how you get gassed. So, that's and, and the- I mean, and it's not to say that we weren't aggressive and physical. I mean, we still, we look at the tape. <laughs> we yeah. were hitting people in the mouth. It's just, we just started a little bit backed up so we could read better. I love yeah. all these years later, you say building a wall. That makes me proud as a coach because that, that was what we were teaching. And to right. give a basketball analogy, teams that are really good at breaking the press, they almost like, they hope the other team presses them. Like, mm-hmm. please press us because we're about to go get a layup. You know, right. or some teams are afraid of the press and they back down. I felt that way about the, the gap scheme, right? Like pulling a guard. Mm-hmm. I wanted teams to I, – because I, I felt we were one of the best in the city at defending that kind of uh, run scheme. And so I would want to see that coming into the game. I was like, because I know we were so disciplined. Our D linemen were so good at cross-facing. And, you know, uh, our linebackers, two non-negotiables. I, I, my brother's a defensive coordinator in Oklahoma. I say, dude, number one, you got to have the shift on, shifting yep. defensive line. I've seen, you know, it always works to either they're going to jump and you're going to get five easy yards – or mm-hmm. it's going to just confuse their blocking at the last second. And so always have a shift in, my opinion. If you're a defense corner, always have some kind of shift in there. Mm-hmm. Secondly, not only were we getting five yards by making the other team jump, I love what you said. If we ever jumped, because we were backed up, we could get back. We could get mm-hmm. back in time. So we would never get offsides penalties. That's another right. advantage. And last thing I'll say that made me proud as a coach, have your inside linebackers, when they see a pull, make them point and yell, pull, yeah. pull, pull. And that's what Dan and Steve Andy, and I, I was so proud on film. You Every time there's a pull, you'd see my linebackers pointing and moving in unison. And I just think that's, that's good stuff. So great, great uh, recollection there. But let's get out of the X's and O's. Let's talk about the people, man. We had a great group, and I saved this photo. So I'm actually going to read you this. And the Ridgepoint coaches listening are going to get a laugh out of this. Some people, mm-hmm. this, again, may want to fast forward through this because this is only maybe funny to us. Yeah. I walk into the defensive locker room one day. We're about to, we're going to have our pre-meeting before about to go out to practice. We're playing Galveston ball. Written on the board, it says game plan. And I'm going to read this to you, and we're going to have some laughs. And it says defeat ball key. So this is the game plan to defeat Galveston ball. I feel like this is Tyler Turner's work. Just from reading this, I think Tyler Turner wrote this stuff. He was our star safety. Yeah. First, bench Steven B. (laughs) That's why, because I know Tyler always was like, Steven, you know, like making fun of him and stuff. So bench Steven Blaylock, which that's not a good move because he was our star inside linebacker. The next thing says, give Torian the ball and J-Jack. <laughs> so Torian, the defensive lineman, Justin yep. Jackson, and outside. And this is actually, this is circled. So this is like yep. in, a, in a big box. So they, they wanted the ball. It says, make Cam say where he going. <laughs> this is for Cam Townsend, who eventually went to Texas. He, he would not reveal for the longest time, and he kept his cards close. Oh, yeah. So where is he going to come? Cam say where he going. The next one says, Bryce, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> So Bryce Deadman, the Olympic gold medalist, uh, yeah. just I don't even know why that's in there, but Bri- Bryce, shut up. Yeah. The next one says, "Get Diamante turned." <laughs> Diamante Beltray, our little quick, uh, you know, scat, uh, scat bug receiver, uh, says, yeah. "Get Diamante turned." Yep. The next one says, "Mouthwash, dental care for Key," and that's Keyshawn Ledet, our one of our uh, stable. We had Remus Bulmer and Keyshawn Ledet. So that was a brilliant ones you punch but it says mouthwash dental care for key and he's becoming a he recently became a dad so congratulations Keyshawn Ledet. I cannot tell you the reason why they I can't tell you the reason why this I know why they said that but I'm not gonna tell you the okay yeah let's keep that way we'll keep that one a family friendly <laughs> show um, ex, I love this. this is my one of my favorites excessive celebrations only and only a circle I, I think probably we got a personal foul I know Tyler got a personal foul for a late hit one time, and Coach Sniffin ripped his ass. I, I'm sure there was maybe we got an excessive celebration, and I'm sure Coach Sniffin was upset. We're probably all yeah. upset. And uh, so you guys said excessive celebration only. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's it. Two more. 
Yeah. Um, this one, <laughs> this one says, "Embrace white culture for Dan." <laughs> and that's the funny thing because our defense is mostly African American, mostly black players, and we had we had Dan and maybe Grayson Bow. I don't know. Very few. Uh, and this might have actually been when you guys were juniors. I don't even know what year this was, but that was funny. Embrace white culture for Dan, you know, <laughs> since he was in there as well. And uh, the last one, this is funny. Act a fool during coin toss. And this dates back to the Santa Fe game. Uh, Tyler Turner again was involved in this and kind of got it, it, I, I don't know exactly what happened. I think some, some maybe some of those players had said some, some yep. things, that, unacceptable things to us. And so that, that became a, a big ordeal, but we won that game going away. We, 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 we kind of showed them with our play what's up with that but uh that was yeah. fun man that's just the i wanted to share that with you and the ridgepoint guys listening i i saved that photo on my phone because it just it just uh makes me think back to those times we had such we had such great times there but oh, man. last thing on ridgepoint man i'm gonna just turn this to you i'm not gonna uh, I've, I've asked you some questions but i want to just hear you any any funny rec or good memories or recollections of ridgepoint football you want to share Man, well, first of all, you you mentioned in that picture. I can hear I can hear us being in the film room talking about that list already. We were um, dying laughing that day. I remember. That was so funny. Uh, let's see here. I mean, I I remember. I think one of the things from that senior year. I, I wish I could replay that that year all over again because I mean it was so funny. It was so fun, and and I mean obviously we were winning, but it was just the camaraderie. I mean we rolled deep everywhere. You know, it's one of those things. Hey, we're we're going to the ball game. Okay, all of yeah, us. Are that's going right. To we're going to this game. Okay, all of us are going to show up. When we went and watched Elkins, it was like, okay, one of us is going. We're all going. And I mean, Love that's it. that's the yep. way a football team. I mean, it felt like a brotherhood, truly. Um, I know. Obi, I one one that, thing I want to add to that. Do you remember like that season? A big memory for me was you. You described the community got behind us. And I remember Coach Sniff and his wife was the principal of Santa Crossing, so he was able to arrange with her and also all of the campuses. We would take buses. Like on game day, I think on, during the athletic period, we would, we would get on buses, we'd bring like the drum line, we'd bring cheerleaders, and the kids would all be in the hallways of the elementary school. We'd walk around the entire elementary school and high five every single kid. And oh my, man, that gives me chills just thinking about it. Those memories of you guys being the heroes for those kids. And those kids, like, those kids probably are playing for Coach Favors now. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? They, they, they became those Panthers and they're still winning. And I just thought that was so, that, that memory, and it's just like, do you remember like whenever we'd get to the stadium, the parents would already be there and there would yeah. be like a, like a victory line or first of all, they would have a line to see us off when we're leaving the field house. There'd be like parents, you know, shaking cowbells and giving us high fives and they would be there at the stadium too. And mm -hmm. we'd walk through like a big procession, uh, our homecoming. I mean, gosh, the homecoming game. I think we played Northbrook maybe, but anyway, it was just like an incredible pageantry. And then the Elkins game, that was the only time I've ever seen hall stadium <clears throat> sold out. There was not a seat to be had with the Panther pack right behind us, man, celebrating. I just so, – sorry to, to interject there, but those are just some memories that popped into my head when you said that. Well, but, well 100%. When you talk about having a community behind you, I mean, and, and think about that. It felt like college game day almost, and that was kind of, I think, what Miss Edwards, the principal at the time, and what Coach Stephen yeah, – Shout out to Tammy Edwards, right? The lead, leadership starts at the top. That was her vision. She insisted on things like wearing your ID. She insisted that we enforce it. The kids wear their ID, and that might be a small thing, but like we got it done, and I think it helped the campus culture. Like Ridgepoint was not a place at that time where there was like kids wandering the halls. I mean, no. I'd, like during my break periods, I'd go walk around. The like, school was like a ghost town. The kids yeah. were in their classrooms learning, you know. And uh, yeah, great memories. Great point of Tammy yeah. Edwards. I oh, definitely need um, to give her a shout out. So other memories. Uh, there was. I remember you're gonna love this one because you always talk about it. Torian wearing the suit. 
we went and played game, strap. Game, game. It's a business trip. <laughs> well, and I'll just say, over so Torian Williams, one of our star defensive ends, he yeah. shows up uh, on game day. He has a rolling suitcase. <laughs> He's wearing a navy blazer and sunglasses with his, yep. with his khakis and, and game polo. And he's and everybody's just dying laughing. He goes, "What? It's a business trip, <laughs> you know." And, oh, but that was our but that was our personality on defense, and and honestly, that helped us lock in because it was like, "Oh, Stratford, you know." But, and then we're just like, "Hey, it's business, all right." And we all just kind of calmed down. Um, I think Marshall, my junior year, us kind of really truly getting our name. That was stamped. our first kind of big win, you know, or like yeah. we let put the city on I, I notice, like win. watch out for us. Uh, I remember that game. It started off, it was like they scored first. And, um, and I remember Crookshank kind of did a little taunt, and we all kind of looked, and we looked at you, and we looked at them. We're like, all right, that's how it's going to be fine. And, and I, I told you this story, Mike. Like the, the year before, I mean, I, my, my good, my, my, my guy, he's called my son, Kaiser St. Cyr, Dre, you know, one of our star defensive ends. His welcome to varsity moment was Mo Porter <laughs> the year before. Mo just. Took him for a ride all night long. NJ but, Dub, NJ Dub, yeah. nah, because yeah. we used to talk about it. Like he, you know, J Dub stiff armed him, and he never forgot it. You yeah, know, remember in the last dance, Michael Jordan. You know, I took that personally. Yes, that was and boy, did Dre stay in that weight room. And by he was a skinny sophomore, six three sophomore. But the next year, man, Kaiser was ripped, and he worked yeah. hard in that weight room. And so the next year is different. So the year before. When you guys were sophomores, every time we'd give up a touchdown, I saw a lot of head hanging. We weren't mm -hmm. there yet. We did not have the culture yet where we had a high enough level of expectation, high enough level of mental fortitude. And so I would have to always be the cheerleader. Hey, guys, going to be okay. Hustle off the field. Mm -hmm. And so we give up a touchdown very early against Marshall. And mm -hmm. it would be very easy to say, here we go again. We're about to get our ass kicked. And so yeah. I was ready for that. And so I'm already running onto the field, ready to start saying, come on, guys, hustle off the field, hustle off the field. But I look and everybody's running off the field. And they run yeah. right past me to the bench. And I, I sit down. I start, I'm like, I'm about to get into my spiel. What we need to, what did you see? What do we need to do? And every single player looks me right in the eye and say, Coach Kobo, we got this. Mm -hmm. I, at that moment, even though we were the heavy underdog, I knew we're going to win this game. Yeah. You know, did you have memories of that? Oh, yeah, you could feel it. Uh, I remember Jay Fan getting on the uh, getting on the bench. Hey, that's not going to be this. That's not going to be this. It's yeah. not going down like that. Not this time. You know, and, and, I just remember like what being on the sideline watching the game, being in the game, like there was a level of force and like relentlessness that wasn't there the year before. The year before, if you were to watch film in a game, I remember because Coach Niffin did this when we watched film. He would watch he would play the year before and then he'd play that year. Mm -hmm. And the year before, a lot more hesitancy, a lot more timidness, a lot more like almost mm, it's Marshall versus the the year we beat him the first time. We're going at him and we're yeah. aggressing yeah. and he's like look this is the difference between a team that believes they can win and a team that doesn't right so you get that we win that game <clears throat> going back to senior year um just all the team dinners we have we do a whole bunch of different shenanigans play jenga out um, <laughs> <laughs> you talk about kaiser i remember one time he was playing jenga uh team dinner and <laughs> Kaiser is a funny guy, but one thing, don't mess with his jangle board. That's one thing I learned. Uh, <laughs> his jangle board got knocked down, and it was like the Incredible Hulk. And you remember, like, Kaiser is a big guy. Oh, yeah. He, boom. Man, I can't believe this. And I was like, oh, my goodness. All right, well. I know That's what I love about Dre, man. Six foot three, ripped, <laughs> tattoos. 
But he kind of talked like Mike Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like that Mike Tyson, you know, <laughs> man, Dre, Dre is my guy, man. And it, yeah. it was such a treat to have you, to yourself, Dre, Torian, just well, I've talked yeah. about before on, on our other show, like uh, having a great D line is mm -hmm. like just the heartbeat that just drives an engine, man. So uh, that um, was, we were so lucky then. That then two more just to not get too long winded. Uh, Elkins definitely that game. That was my favorite win of all time at Ridgepoint. I would say my favorite win of all time was at Aldine. We beat Nimitz, but my second favorite was Ridgepoint beating Elkins. So what I recall from Elkins was we were the type of team like our senior year. Luckily, Coach Niffin would let us play uh, music in the locker room. Right? He you said know? he didn't like it. Didn't but like he said it. he put he he I bet. He, Remus, I think he made Remus promise him that it was going to, you know, we're going to keep winning. And Coach yeah. said, I, I hate this shit, but as long, if we keep winning and they're playing hard, I'm good with it. That's it. And so it was, I think that was just the personality of that team. You got to let us loosen up. Then once you got time to focus, it was like, all right, cool, focus time. And so I remember we get out to the field, we're trying to stretch, and we already look, and the stands are already full. I remember when I walked the field, you know, um, I would just imagine the stands, you know, kind of filled with people already enchanting, and then I'd be able to block it out. Yeah. Well, this time when I walk the field, I look and it's already full. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be different. Wow. Yeah. So then we come out to stretch, and now we, you know, we hear all this. Oh, man, this is our, our league. Our can, I, can I stop you one second? Just hold that thought because I want to give the, the lead up to that. Yeah. I remember Coach Sniffin publicly kind of saying, like, I, I think, I almost think I still have a newspaper article. Like yep. where we won a game before this Elkins game, and coach yep. in the end is like it's quoting Coach Stiff, and it kind of says like I don't know what we need to do to get more respect, you know? Yeah. It's like I remember that <laughs> we, we, our non-district teams are all like leading their district. We've beaten good teams. I don't know what we need to do to get respect, you know? Mm -hmm. And he was he was masterful at that like cultivating that within us to like we felt like we were the huge underdog. We had that chip on our shoulder. We were in like prove it mode. We wanted that game. I remember, and I got to say the arrogance of some Elkins parents. I remember at our sub-varsity games, I would work like the clock, you know, and JV was playing Elkins, you know, before, you know, Wednesday night before the Thursday game. And I remember people just, I think we won. And I remember yeah. people saying like, ah, it don't matter. We're going to, we got varsities tomorrow. Varsities yeah. tomorrow here, you know, and like, like we're supposed to be scared. <laughs> we weren't, you know, and, I, and I, it's like, and the, the last piece of this, our principal, whew, Talk about writing checks that we got to make sure that we cash. Jesus Christ, I can't believe she and <laughs> She bought these beat Elkins shirts. And I mean, it's one of those things that honestly, it's not, it's, to me, it's pretty innocent. But like, oh, yeah. boy, did the Elkins fan base erupt to that and saw that as a sign of disrespect. And boy, did we felt pressure. I know Coach Stephen kind of rolling his eyes and being like, damn it, did you really have to do that? Now we got to, like, yeah, you know, we got to, we got to back this up, you know, and that was a uh, miss Edwards thing. That was a miss See, she had bravado, man. She really did. She did. But that, what you need that coach, you yeah. need it. And that's the thing, like, Miss Edwards was one of those type of principles you love to have because she, she backed us. Like, I mean, 100%. And I remember the watermelon she used to bring us during the summertime. Like, hey, we believe in you guys work hard and we appreciate all you do. And having her be our biggest fan most of the time, I mean, like, you can't, you can't beat, they can't match that. But no. And this is, you know, Twitter and social media and trash talking over social media is a big thing now. But even when I was in high school, it wasn't so much the case. But on Twitter, you could see, and I and I stayed off of social media for that reason. Yeah. But I remember, like, I'd get looped into some tweets. Oh, we're going to kick your ass. So, you know, El Rich Point doesn't belong. Rich Point doesn't have a chance. You guys know who Jonathan Giles is. You guys know who, you know, this guy. Do you guys know who this guy is? And we were like, Okay, fair enough, right? So then we get out the stretch, 
Can I, I, I one more? I interrupt you one last time on this because you brought up a great point. Jonathan Giles, superstar, oh, yeah. one of the most dynamic players I've ever coached against. Incredible quarterback, incredible yep. athlete, man, incredible, just great player. Yep. We that week, and we don't we don't do too much X's and O's, but I think it's important. We adopted a different game plan of essentially what we call the control rush, a controlled rush. Coach Dober did a great job install, installing this during the week and teaching you guys. But we rather, and we have great pass rushers like you know. Torian, are probably one of our all-time leading sackers. Uh, Dre, yourself, you guys, and this is why I just—you're such a team, man. That's why we were so good. We told you don't rush him hard. They don't rush like that. We're just gonna slowly kind of condense the pocket on him, slowly walk him back, keep him contained. Dan Carpenter would slowly come in on like a second contained rush from linebacker spot. But we were just uh, Steve Ann would not take his normal deep middle drop. He would kind of just sit tighter to be ready for as a spy for a scramble, and so. We had guys sacrifice their ability to go turn, pin their ears back and become pass rushers for the good betterment of the team. And I feel like there was never any hesitation. Yeah. When we and introduced I, that in game plan, like I felt like you guys just whatever we need to do to win, coach. You know, uh, and I'm going to talk about that too. But, uh, you know, I just remembered we got out to the field and I can hear their fans. I could hear our fans. I could hear them. I could hear yeah. us. And, I'm like, oh Lord, like, and we can feel the adrenaline. Like, what were they saying to you again? You don't belong here. <laughs> you don't belong. You don't belong. And it's our city. This is our cup, man. This is real. This is real. You know, football. This is real estate championship football. You guys ain't proving nothing. I'm like, all right. Cool. Yeah. Cool. No problem. And I just remembered I went dead silent, and I could hear, hurry your asses up. You know, excuse my French, but just hurry your asses up. I'm like, okay. This this is what it is, you know, and so. Uh, I remember Kaiser's pregame speech, and Kaiser was oh. not usually one to talk pregame, but he, oh my god, man, we got to do this for them. All the coach Govo and all the coach Sniffing has sacrificed before us, man. We got to take care of business, and we Still don't have like. I almost cried, bro. Like, oh, I, I was, I was crying. I was crying at that moment. Like I had tears in my eyes. Like I, I still get tears in my eyes now thinking back on that moment in that locker room. And for, so, for people that are just like have seen the movie Friday Night Lights. Yeah. It was like when Ivory Christian at halftime mm-hmm. challenged the team. Like, that's what Kaiser did. And, man, yep. he got us in this headspace where we were just like – I felt like we were just like rabid dogs, like ready to be held back by a chain, you know, or about to be unleashed. And, boy, did yeah. you guys play your asses off. Now, it was a close game. We were losing the famous Shiler State and pick six kind of helped, you know, turn the tide there. But we, we right. did eventually pull away, you know, and, and – you know convincingly win it was no fluke or anything i don't know gary i'm gonna tell you but like we won that football game but that was just that was the most intense game i've ever been a part of two moments from that game that i recall vividly i remember when steven notes did the crackback block on mo there's a guy named mo who went to uh, elkins and i remember steven boom and i was like oh yeah and so there was that now going back to siler's pick six coach and there's one thing i'll tell you you had us contain Russ that whole game, and it was frustrating for us. We talked about it because it was like, we can get him. We can get him. We can sack him. But we knew, and our game plan was, we were going to make Giles beat us with his arm, right? We are going to sit back, and we knew his tendency was he wanted to scramble, and we didn't let him do it. And I remember that. It was fourth and eight, and I was like, I can beat Omar off the ball. I can beat him. And if I beat him, I rush his throw. And if I rush his throw, you know, we get the ball back. But I just remember, like, Nah, no, no, no. We got we got to maintain the game plan. You got you don't get selfish, right? Yeah, yeah. So I remember I beat Omar off the ball, and because I beat Omar off the ball, Jay Giles can't step up, 
And then I remember Cam Townsend puts his hand on his shoulder. I see Cam yeah. tap his shoulder. And that that you talk about inches and the littlest thing that alters his throwing motion to where he has to throw off his left foot and he just flinks it. Yeah. And I just remember I turn and I see my guy. I know the receiver's name was Taj. I remember I see Taj waiting for the ball to get there. And it was like slow motion. It was like. And then here I see this guy in white. Yeah. And it's Shyler. And I'm like, oh, he's going to the house because nobody yeah. was within 10. And yeah. when we take it to the house, game over from that point. So talk about yeah. that moment. And then just before the game, the last thing okay. was when we were stretching. I remember we, we love that rap music, like you said, but we also had some soulful guys. Oh, you know, yeah. Some Luther Vandross from time to time. We'd play <laughs> and all that. And I just remember we hear Before I Let Go, the song, you know, yeah. Before I Let Go. Yeah, yep. Oh, and so then when we hear that, we're like, oh, man, that, I was like, oh, nah, you guys messed up. You thought that, like, they thought that was going to psych us out. Because Elkins brought a speaker and was playing all this, you're saying, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yep. And I love how our guys just embraced it. <laughs> yeah, and so then I was like, I don't know if that was a psych job, but y'all just loosened us up even more. We yeah. were tense, I could feel, and then when we played, that was, oh, yeah, all right. So, I mean, that was probably one of the better games I played, and then, um, you know, playing Foster, first round of the playoffs, I mean, how, how, you, how about that? You go 10-0, and 0 and then your first game, you got to play C.D. Lamb and Foster and that whole high-powered um, passing yep. attack. Um, and that was probably more – that was a more stressful game, in my opinion, than even us playing Elkins. Elkins, we knew what to do. Our game, We knew what the game plan was. That offense – Foster, was so I, I, as a defensive coordinator, I thought that was the toughest matchup we ever had, in my yeah. opinion. We won the game, but we – won, but it was – so I didn't feel good. I was stressed. thought I had a headache after. Um, and then, ironically, the next week we play C.D. King – I felt like that was our best game as a defense we ever played. Shut um, down an NFL running back. <laughs> yeah, who had 2,000. Trey Williams, Travion Williams. 13 carries, th or 33 yards, you know? Yeah. And then the game that we don't like to talk about. Wasn't our day, man. And, I, I, you know, and looking back on it, like, I'm just so proud. And, like, getting to talk to you and relive these memories, like, we didn't win the game. You know, whatever. You know, it, it was just time marches on, man. I wish we could have done it. I think we could have made noise going further. But it just oh, yeah, it wasn't yeah. meant to be. It was not it meant to be, man. That was probably one of the funnest pregames. You know, we talk about always being loose. I remember yeah. it started off, we got to uh, Barry Center, um, and we had this sort of round table confessional. We talk about funny stories, and we would all go around and just say, it was like, um, you know, like uh, alcohol intervention, you know, kind of group. Like AA, it. Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah, exactly. We, I'm Cam, uh, and I, I'm, I'm Coach Kobo, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm a defense coordinator at uh, Ridgepoint High School. Hi, coach. Yeah. And you got my confession is that, uh, you know, I'm alcoholic. And I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah you guys <laughs> and then, are too um, funny, you know, man. We'd go around Torian and Kaiser and Steven and all of us and the like. And then it was the infamous baseball game that you that had was great. And, and it was just, that was, that was our team. We, we were loose, but we knew how to take care of business. And, you know, that was a great season. That was a great experience. And, um, you know, that, that Temple game, you know, it just was, it, hey, this is the beauty of the game. I always say there's a winner, there's a loser, and you just have to, yeah, that's the beauty of it. You have to accept it and you move on. That's the ARI, man. That's the beauty. I, I, I do think that if we play them 10 times, we win more than five out of 10. Like, I do, I do feel like we were the, I, I do, you know, but 
they earned it, man. And on that day, it was their day. And so kudos to them. They're great, well-coached team, great Very athletes, so. man. They, they were really impressive. But let's let's talk about you now, man. So we, we talked a lot about Ridgepoint. Those are some great days. But you stayed home. You know, you went to the University of Houston as a student. And I always ask this question. I always ask, like, did you know you were going to coach? You you did not. You, you went a different career path. We yeah. talked a lot about it. I know you're doing your podcasting. But it kind of felt to me like you just – you felt maybe unfulfilled. And I kind of, I hear a lot of what you're talking about on your podcast about, you know, mentoring the next generation. You talked a lot about that extensively on your podcast. And I was like, Obi, man, what do you think? Why don't you coach? You'd be great at it. And so we were talking about it. I kind of gave you some in- insight on maybe some, what you should do, what you should get certified in this, that, and the other. And for any, any coach, head coach that listen to this, if you want a young, good young coach, you want this guy on your staff. I'm, I'm putting my coach Kobo seal of approval right now. You got a team player podcast, seal of approval. You want this guy in your staff. So, and he, and I've told, we talked about this. He is willing to go anywhere in the city. So anybody interested, please consider Mike Obi uh, as an assistant coach, but talk about that transition, man. So you talk about just, you know, you, your, your realization that maybe your day job wasn't doing it for you and you want to try something new and get an education. Well, so I, you know, what's crazy coach was actually while I was in high school, I actually thought of coaching first. So I don't know whether this is a team player first. I actually thought of being a coach first. Like when they would ask me, you know, when adults had asked me, when my parents had asked me, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I'm going to be a coach. And it wasn't like, for me, I just, like I talked about previously, there was a coach Martinez who was my youth football coach. I was really close with him. And he kept me on the straight and narrow rather than me getting in trouble because I was getting bullied or whatever the case because of weight. And my parents worked all the time. He was the type of coach, he, he was taking me to practice because my parents worked. They, they weren't there to take me to practice, right? He'd come get me from my house and he'd take me to practice. Right. And then teach me life lessons. You check on, hey, how is school, Mike? You know, how is life going? Are you feeling okay? Are you going for the game? You know, he do that. When I got to junior high, there was a coach, Dines, um, Shane Dines. He's at uh, Parallel Junior High South. He was the athletic coordinator along with Coach Reader, Coach Chesery, Coach Carr, Coach McLaughlin, all those guys. Very instrumental in my growth as a human being. Uh, coach Dines is still coaching in Parallel, I believe. Um, and Coach McLaughlin, I crossed paths with actually a couple months ago. He's an administrator at one of the uh, mm-hmm. schools in my district. So these guys are all still in education. Then when you get to high school, you know, you have a Coach Covo, a Coach Dober, Coach Fisher, whom, you know, I always talk about one of the things I loved about our staff is that you guys are invested in us as human beings. Kind of one of the things I try to take um, into me as being a coach now. And my kids talk to me about it. You know, they're like, one thing we like about you, Coach, um, you care about us, you care about us as people, you know, and, you know, that's one thing I learned from you guys. And so um, I thought of being a coach first, but then influences, um, you don't make money being a coach and, you know, what, what, what stability is being a coach going to bring to you? So then I'm like, well, okay, fine. And I'll try to do it another way. So I went in, I um, majored in biology. Um, when I first got to college, I went to JUCO for two years that, then when I transferred to U of H, um, I just remembered the NSM program I wasn't messing with. I like I didn't like the professor, I didn't like the philosophy, I didn't like the whole kind of you got to kind of fend for yourself and figure it out. Now some people work well that way. I don't. I don't. I'm a person who asks a lot of questions. I'm a person who likes to kind of figure things out, and I need people to be collaborative. And so, um, a friend of mine was um, she was studying public health. And I'm like, okay, well, what is this? So I looked at it and it was very much 
about taking public issues, health crises. And I was big on health promotion at that time. I was big into weightlifting, big in uh, preventative measures. And so mm-hmm. um, I switched majors to public health. And, you know, people ask me all the time, um, <clears throat> what do you do with public health? And I'm like, well, unfortunately, this thing, COVID that we had happened in 2020, you mm-hmm. battle stuff like that, you right. battle uh, infectious diseases. And so um, it just so happened that my major that I studied and got a uh, got a degree in with a minor in biology, I got right into working um, for uh, once I got out of college in 2019, 2020. So I was doing that for two years. And uh, unfortunately, with the public sector, you don't make that much money because it's a service, it's a government job, it's a service mm-hmm, job. So mm-hmm. you don't make the most stable of incomes, right? Um, so then I was like, well, trying to move on and figure out what's next try to apply for some higher positions, but they needed more experience, more um, degrees. And so um, I run into you, run into Coastal Favors. Both of you guys are telling me, you know, you and your mindset, uh, you'd be a great coach. And when y'all first tell me it, it was like, mm, I kind of been there and like done that as far as thinking about it. Um, but then Coach Kovo launches Team Player Podcast, and I'm hearing mm-hmm. all these different stories. I'm listening. So Team Player time. Podcast had an influence, like you hearing uh, great coaches talking. You're like, I want to be, a, I want to be a part of this fraternity. One hundred percent. Very cool. Um, Very cool. And, and it just goes to show you kind of you do things and um, how life comes full circle. Because I'm listening to all these stories. I'm like, and I've I've heard coaches on your podcast say. I didn't think about coaching in the beginning, but then I became one and I don't regret it. So then and here's like, the thing about the salary. I want to address this because people, you know, I say and, and coaches and educators. Yes. I wish we were paid more, you know, but at mm-hmm. the same time, like as someone who's gone into the private sector, mm-hmm. I guess the drawback with coaching is, you know, you have a set salary. It's not like you're in a sales position where like, you have the potential for growth, right? Like having a great year or whatever, but like at the, at the same, on the flip side, like I've mm-hmm. been in the private sector when COVID hit, I got laid off. Yeah. You know, my company had to suffered losses, obviously, with COVID, and we had they had cut back, and I was one of the newer employees. And this is Dactronics that I love. I got laid off from Dactronics initially, mm-hmm. and I had to go do find work, you know, selling, uh, you know, uh, educational software. But then eventually, once things got better, Dactronics had told me, "Kova, once we get whole again, we get through this pandemic, we want you back." And they they honored that, and I was so happy to return to my beloved Dactronics, which I work with now. But like, that's the thing, you know, it, teaching is a stable profession too, because we need teachers, we need great teachers, you know, so. Yeah. There is strength to that. And also, I mean, it, it, if money is a big factor, there are leadership positions in education that pay really well, you know? And so I just, Absolutely. that's what I always tell people. As someone who's, who was in education, like my salary now is not better than when I was coaching, you mm-hmm. know? It's not. It just The thing I like about my job now is that I have a day job and now I have freedom that I can go broadcast and see my friends play and do my mm-hmm. podcast and like promote the game that I love. I, lo- I just love doing it from this perspective, but yeah. That's and, what I would tell people. Don't let the money dissuade you. You, mm-hmm. you can say other things, whether it's maybe it's stress, being overworked. Those are real legitimate reasons why, you know, I think teachers leave. But the money, I just, you know, I, I just, I'm a, I'm a firm believer, like, you know, a lot of it's how much you spend, right? It's just making sure whatever your salary is, you just got to tailor your lifestyle to that. So if you make more money, you might just spend more money <laughs> being even more debt, you know, because you get a custom different lifestyle. But I don't want to get down a financial rabbit hole. But I just I just want to say that, man. And yeah. uh, I, I'm so glad that you came to the realization that maybe what you thought about the salary, like it's it, I, there's a lot of strength to the salary, too. I mean, there are a lot of perks uh, to be in education and having you know, the retirement system that, that educators have. So anyway, just giving a big PSA for anyone listening. Maybe you do some other job. Maybe you are in the private sector and you're thinking about becoming a coach. Talk to us reach out to myself or Obi on Twitter or whatever. Like 
it, it's a great move in my opinion. I, I, I think you're feeling the same way. No, and, and you're 100% about the whole salary thing and, and really just having perspective. Sometimes it takes someone who's in it or who's been in it to say, no, nah, it's actually not that bad. And, um, so I was thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, been there, done that. As far as wanting to be a coach, I feel like that was in the past. And then um, Bernard uh, reaches out to me, and, uh, you know, I'm telling him, I'm like, man, you know, I'm trying to move, and I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that. He was like, why don't you coach? Yeah. And I was like, nah, bro, like I've done it. I already thought about it. He's like, nah, it's different. First of all, there's a demand. You've always had this tendency of finding jobs that are in demand as far as needing the workforce. Your your personality is adaptable and um, your demeanor is adaptable. You've always had the mindset of a coach. You're listening to this. You do this. You do the even your podcast is big on teaching and educating. <clears throat> so all of that, I was like, well, maybe this is you know, the higher powers or whatever the case telling me, Hey, you gotta, maybe well, what's, is it hard for people? Cause I, like, I always think of like kids that are like D one scholarship or bust, mm -hmm. you know, like they, mm -hmm. they have this mindset and it's like, if anything less is like, um, they look down, like maybe they don't return the phone call, but D three coach that's offering them to play on the team. You know what I mean? And maybe mm -hmm. same thing with, with career paths. Like for you, you had, you had put to bed the idea of being a coach and you aspired to other things. So was mm -hmm. that difficult? Was it kind of like to, I don't, I don't want to say swallow your pride or, 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 or like, cause it, it seemed like you'd moved on from that. And it's like, you know what, this thing that I had shut the door on, mm -hmm. it can still be a possibility for me. And like, that's the thing I tell people is like, don't ever just completely close the door on something, you know? Cause you never know, man, life is life throws you lots of different change ups and curveballs, Right. So I'm just curious, was that difficult for you? That, you, know, that, that, you said, you said of Bernard, right? Like, was it mm -hmm. hard to say something that I thought I would never open up again that now here I am. And that, that this, I'm going to, I'm going to look at it. That's a great question. Now, yeah, it was because it was like I already put that to bed, and then ju like judgment, cultural judgment, people sure. just, like. I, don't yeah, I get it. it. So you're basically saying like Nigerian parent, they want you to be an architect or a lawyer or a doctor, right? I understand. Yeah. I come the from truth the, is, the truth is the truth is what it is. But yeah, that's another thing you don't want to hear, and sure. um, you know, especially you having to tell them that. And, uh, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> being being an adult, being a man, as they say, you got to make decisions and you got to live with it. So I was like, well. I'll apply. So um, I went on now. And it was also late in the game, too. It was, it yeah, was late it was very in the summer, like, uh, school was about to start, too. So I was like, hey, it's late. Like, you know, am I even going to find a job? But, I, you know, I just like, all right, fine. You know, you always want to give yourself as many opportunities as you can. So I just did it. So I applied. Uh, I looked at the different districts. I was like, well, I'm here. I'm going to apply this district, this district, district, districts again. So um, I, get, I get back to interviews, um, one with uh, – all Dean, uh, Ailey Felsic, my bad, Ailey Felsic, yep, yep. and then do that interview with their staff. And then, um, and then also being a first year teacher, understanding that too, that was another thing of like, okay, now I got to get certified. How does that work? And then alternative certifications. And so doing that and then, uh, applied to Nolan Ryan junior high and, um, Nolan Ryan, they both reached out at the same time. Nolan Ryan reaches to me first. And I was like, well, it's closer to home. It'll make a bit of a smoother transition. I feel like it'll be, I thought it would be a good thing to um, coach junior high first one, because of the totally kids. Like, you, you can handle junior high kids who are, you know, going through their emotions, going through that stability and really having to figure out their emotions. And I was like, okay, that'll prepare me for high school. I'm also a young coach. So it'd be a better um, age gap as far as that. The more concerned. experiences, the better to see it all. I mean, to see it at every, yeah, totally agree with you. 
And it also, they, they always say that um, in junior high, it's better for you becoming a teacher. So I'm like, if I can get the teaching stuff down, then the coaching stuff is going to be easy for me. Let me get the harder part down path first. And, yeah, and, and, and OB, you did a great job of, and for, for listeners that are considering this, do not get a health and PE certification. That's right. A lot of us, you know, whenever we, we're, at, we're athletes, right? We want to be te- doing health and PE, but the problem is there's just not that many openings for that. A lot of times those are reserved for more veteran coaches, right? More tenured coaches, you know, for certain. So that I, I, cause initially you were going to do that. And I said, OB, trust me, man, don't do that. And you did a great job quickly. You really did a great job quickly changing paths and getting your social studies certification. So kudos yeah. to you for that. So that's how it goes. Um, And I get hired, I get hired at Nolan Ryan and um, this has been my first year. Uh, and again, same thing. I talk about veterans. And so I've had a great staff of leadership, um, you know, my principals, Dana Green, uh, Dr. Hudson and Dr. DeFelice, um, you know, them really being patient with me and kind of having that um, guiding force. And then my coach staff now, Coach Parker, Coach Muhammad, Coach Wright, uh, you know, on, on my team, really kind of taking me under their wing and being able to teach me and like, you know, hey, you're doing good. Hey, I like what you do here. Hey, keep on being on these guys, keep on influencing them, keep on, you know, shedding your light because they need it. Um, and even my teaching staff, you know, some of the, some of our staff members too, helping me be a better teacher and kind of helping me navigate the challenges of because um, it's not it's it's not easy being a first year teacher. It's not. Um, it, it can be stressful, but you know, the more you, you just, you got to just have a right mindset. You have a, have a right perspective as far as just, Hey, you're not going to know everything. You're not. So ask questions. First year of teaching sucks. I'm going to straight up and say it. I, <laughs> I, if, if anybody tells you different, they're either lying or they're just, they are like a, a phenom. I yeah. hated my first year. I've taught, I taught at Clearbrook high school. A lot of people don't know that about me. They actually, I taught at Clearbrook, which seems kind of random, uh, but mm-hmm. that was my first assignment. I actually started in January. So I took mm-hmm. over for a teacher that was obviously released at mid-year. So you can already sense what was going on there. And mm-hmm. so that was so difficult. And it's hard, man, going from college to just having to wake up every morning at six in the morning. And, and I had to drive far from Sugarland to, to a friend's wood there for Clearbrook High School. And I hated it. And I came back and told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm not doing this. I, right. I'm going to go back to school. I want to work with adults. And I just I don't want to be around these kids anymore. And mm-hmm. my mom, great advice. She said, Jimmy whatever you do, do it for three years before you switch, give it yeah. three years. And I, I, I love my mother and I listened to her and I'm so glad that I did because the next year I had a little more time and more options. And I was able to apply it at Clements high school, Kevin Moran. He's now the superintendent out at Waller ISD. He was my assistant principal at Austin high school where I'm an alum at. And mm-hmm. he pretty much, and this is what it's all about who, you know, I pretty much got the job like Sida. <laughs> like, oh, of course, come on. And it's like very quickly got the job. Uh, worked with, uh, you know, Jeff Hume, who's an awesome coach, you know, who was kind of the, the father of that tree that started at Clements and his branches of like Coach Sniffin and Coach Darnell, who are super successful coaches, you know. Um, coach Edwards at Harker Heights, who had an awesome seat. We, we, if you saw him in our pick he went, they went deep in the yeah. playoffs this year. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I would say to anyone listening. Like, if the first year of teaching is going to suck, it's just, it's extremely difficult to learn how yeah. to lead these kids. But, as soon for year two, man, it just took off for me. And then at 11, you know, 11 years later, I, I just got to a point to where I felt like, you know, I reached my goal and I wanted a new challenge or something different. And that, that's what happened to me. But I, I love teaching. I love yeah. teaching, man. I'm glad you're feeling the same way. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things. I think what has helped me honestly being a teacher, is the fact that I did something I was previously, I had another right. job, I had another career, you could say, 
where I was doing a different job and having to navigate being a professional and kind of having to learn how to come to work and ask questions. And I think that helped me with this job because you don't come in wide eyed and like, oh my gosh, I don't know everything. It's like, you know, you're not going to have the answers to everything. You know who to reach out to, how to reach out to them. And, you know, uh, honestly, it gives you perspective on picking the right uh, field and the right profession and the right school, right? If you know you're the type of person who asks questions and you have a staff who you feel like isn't going to be supportive of that, then you know that you guys are on a mix. But the fact that I have a very supportive staff and that's kind of the culture they're trying to build was a great match for me. And, um, you know, one of the things we're collaborating, making sure to ask questions when you don't know something. Hey, how did you manage this? Main thing is classroom management, you know, especially with young kids. How do you manage the classroom? Hey, what do you do? What do you, how do you do this? You know, how do you accomplish this goal, this feat? How did you manage your time? What do you do? Where do you find it? You have to be willing and able to ask all this. It can't be scared. And um, that's, I think, just how I got into the whole coaching profession. And um, it's been great. It's been rewarding. Um, you know, it is, it is one of those things that, you know, you really can't measure the value of um, having people looking forward to seeing you every day, you know, and them telling you, hey, we're so glad that, you know, you're, you're our teacher, our coach, hey, you know, we coach, hey, can you come to, now the thing is, hey, can you come to Shadow Creek with us? You know, I'm like, yeah. hey, I feel good knowing that these kids want me around and um, making a positive impact as best I can just by trying to be a good force and a good influence on them. Obi, you know, the thing that I miss, man, and people ask me all the time, Kobo, do you miss coaching? And of course I do, you know, and I like the thing that I don't miss was being an administrator, uh, being an athletic coordinator. Personally, for me, it's just, I was not, you know, I, I didn't, I it was not my personality to spending so much time managing the adults. I felt like I had less time with the kids. Mm -hmm. I, my best time in my co coaching career was at Ridgepoint. Clements yeah. was great too, but at Ridgepoint, like I really found my groove. I was, you know, respected as a defensive coordinator and a guy that I think most people on staff felt was a, a good person, a nice guy. And I coached hard in my second sport. I loved coaching basketball. So I knew I had the respect to coach Plowden or coach Kubasek, you know, whoever I was working with, you know, on, whether it was girls or boys basketball, I did both, you know, at different points. And I just really found my groove there, man. And I think people ask me, would you ever go back to coaching? I said, yeah, sure. I, I would definitely do it, but I would not. I, I My head coaching days are over. That two and 18 right. record is what it is. That, that That's going to always go down the record books, you know, James Kovaleski two and 18, but I love being an assistant. That's where I, I, I feel like I'm more of a, you know, just a, a good member of the staff. I, I didn't, I, I didn't personally, you know, relish the, the, the leadership role, but there's guys that are cut out for that, you know, that are, that are great at it. Um, the thing that I'll miss the most is the relationship with the players. Like yeah. my relationship with you, man, and guys like Jay fan or Dan Carpenter, you know, like, you know, all these years later, you, you run into, I ran into a Tyler Turner and Torian at a football game. And just, that's the sad part for me is I will no longer have, I no longer form those relationships. Like that is the sad part. Now, luckily you guys I'll keep up with for the rest of my life, but that's the beauty of coaching is you get to, you get to form these new relationships, these new bonds every year. And so you just always have people um, that, 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 that can, that can point to you, but let's, let's go on to the next portion of the show. Yep. This is the portion where I've talked about now that I'm in broadcasting and I'm up in the bleachers and stuff. Like I see a lot of negative parent interaction and I want to ask you about that. And I know, you know, sometimes you, as a coach, obviously you're dealing with parents that are <clears throat> upset about decisions that are made by you and your staff. Yep. I just, I, I, the reason I do this podcast, cause I love coaches. I've talked about, I had a, uh, some domestic, you know, abuse stuff going on in my childhood. And so I was just in a dysfunctional home. I wanted to get the hell out of my house, get to school where I was with coach Kitterman and all my coaches that loved me and made me feel important. Yep. That's why I do this show, right? I want to broadcast everybody. Coaches are the good. We do not need to be downgrading coaches, yelling at coaches, talking shit on social media about coaches. 
we don't need to do that in my opinion that is the worst the worst thing we could possibly do in society what's your advice for parents that do choose to go that pathway i get it that they love their kid and so they think they're helping but this to me is it's not productive it does not help the kids experience so what advice do you have uh to allow kids to have the best possible experience in athletics which is so important in a child's development in my opinion I mean, for me, I think the most important thing is just for the parents to be involved for the kid and be yeah. involved with the kid. Don't, you know, don't care about what the coach is doing. Like, let the coach coach and let the and as a parent be the parent. Be the support system for whenever the kid has a tough day at school. Hey, they can come home to you and ask you questions, right? Um, if you don't like something the coach did or if you don't like the coach, <laughs> I, this goes this goes against my personal philosophy. I mean, I I don't know. I'm not one to also. I I don't like the whole transfer portal and oh, I'm just gonna transfer schools because that 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 becomes a result. A result. So you, I guess you're seeing a lot more of that now, even at the middle oh, school and high sure. school level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I don't like this, I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna go there. Sure. I'm like at the end of the day, I like okay. Prime example, looking at my experience, right? There was no. I'm gonna go to Hightower. I'm gonna go to Elk, and I'm yeah. gonna go. You to you moved. Or, from Pearland, not because you were unhappy with the Pearland system. Your family just decided they wanted to live in Siena, right? That was that was the reason. No, no athletic reason. Right. And so it was that. And then there was no me being able to go home to mom and dad and say, hey, mom and dad, I don't like the fact Coach Sniffin yelled at me today. I don't like the right. fact Coach, Coach Kovo yelled at me today. There, there is none of that. You don't like it, you can quit. Like, it's that simple. Yeah. And I, don't I was want... the same way. I never even entertained the idea of possibly playing other than the people that lived in my neighborhood. <laughs> Right. You know, it wasn't even, yeah, it never crossed our minds. So for me, as far as that, I think the best thing is just to be able to be able to teach the kid. Hey, sometimes you're going to have leadership, you know, you're going to have leadership, you're going to have bosses, you're going to have parents, you're going to have, you know, employees that you don't seem to get along with and don't seem to mess with. But at the end of the day, you got to learn how to take care of your job. Right. And if it is something that you, you, you know, a child comes to you and says, mom and dad, I don't want to play anymore. I, I'm not feeling this anymore. You just support them and say, hey, is this are you sure that this is what you want at the end of the day i'm going to support you i think as long as kids understand that their parents have their back and they will support them then that's what it is and then if the kid says hey can you go talk to the coach then that's different because now the kid is crying for help now the kid is asking for help that's a different thing right but even if that's the case it doesn't have to be an animosity because then right. you know you go at the coach rather than trying to work with them it should be a collaborative effort I feel like between parents and coaches, right? That's the way I look at it. That's the way I've tried to make it be where when it, when a kid acts up, right? And I get the chance to see their parent, right? Um, you know, like I've, I've had mothers bring their sons, like, can we talk to my son? So then I'm like, hey, look, mom or dad is trying to help you. They're trying to create the best life for you. And they're trying, they're, they're not coming to me to get you in trouble. They're trying because they need help. And I'm trying to be that help for you. Right. That's the way it should look is that the parent and the coaches are working collaboratively to put this child in the best situation for success. Right. Not the parent questioning the coach, because I see that a lot of don't listen to that coach. That coach doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, then if you start with that mindset, imagine how they're going to take teachers and how they're going to take their job when they get out. And eventually, you know, parents aren't going to be there forever to watch the kid, you know. And so I think that it's all about mindset and how you're shaping them. Right is that you always want to teach the kid to take accountability for their actions. And if they're not feeling the situation that they're in, you always say, hey, assess it. Is it certain? Are you sure it's something you can't handle? If it's not, then, okay, we can try a different approach. We can try a different pathway. But you want to make sure that you're taking care of your business first.
Obi, I think the operative word is respect, you know, and I, I think we have a lack of respect in our society. And I think that's the thing we need to try to fight to try to push back on because especially being Japanese, and there's a lot of things I love about Japanese culture, but one thing is like the respect for sensei, right? Sensei is the word for teacher. And it's just an extreme level of respect. Teachers are held in the highest regard. And so that's kind of how I was raised, yep. you know, to have that feeling. And it's kind of like hardwired in me. Like I have a big, I was never in military, but like, I mean, I guess my mindset is like a big hierarchy of like, you know, uh, authority and respect. And so I, I just think that like, I, I used to, you know, you love like the kids that would like, you know, class dismisses and the kid will hang around but hey th thank you coach have a nice weekend you know like little yeah. things like that are just so huge i want to teach my son to do that i want to teach my son to be like to be the kid that thanks his coaches when he's leaving practice on the way out or thanks the officials after a game you know, thank you sir thank you for calling our game you know like i just think that's so important and i think we've lost a lot of that like mm -hmm. you should be coming to me when I, when I have a 10 month old son like when i go to the first parent teacher conference like i'm coming in there with, first of all mr obi Thank you for teaching, Bo. I just want to say thank you so much for all your hard work. I just want you to know it's appreciated. Like, that's the way I'm going to come at it. Like, I respect you. If there is an issue that we need to bring up, I'll bring it up. Like, hey, Mr. Obi, like, I'm, I'm a little concerned about, you know, this thing or that, that thing. But, like, that's the way it should be. And I think so many times, like, God, it just rubs me such the wrong way when I hear parents sometimes it's, like, so negative about the coaches right. that they don't even know these guys. They don't even know. Right. Like, one of them is I saw one time a personal friend of mine was being under attack from some parents in the stands. I'm just like – they have no idea how great of a human being this guy is, and how great he is for their kids' development. So, totally agree with yeah. you, man. Yeah. Let's hope. Uh, let's hope things get better. My in my culture, we call it Oga. So, like how you call it Sensei, we call it Oga. Yeah, yeah. Right, you must respect your Oga, right? And what that means, like, and I think that goes to when you instill that blueprint from a young age. Naturally, the kid puts themselves in a better situation for success, no matter what the coach's personality is. If they have respect, then very unlikely that they're going to have issues with the coach now if it's a matter of a, a parent because most of the time when i when i see issues with parents and coaches it's the the kids playing time the opportunity right mm -hmm. and it's well my son needs to play it doesn't work like that in life nowhere right where right. you just are given right. anything you have to go and earn it now if you i'd if, love to have fifty thousand podcast subscribers you know <laughs> i'm working on it you know it doesn't work that way <laughs> Right. And so then the question is, OK, did your son or daughter do anything to lose trust? Right. You know me. What happened in my junior year? I lost trust and then I didn't start and then I had to figure out how to get there again. Yeah. Right? And it's the same thing rather than saying and letting people escape accountability. What did you do? How can you fix it? Then if it's still not working, then we say, what can they do? Hey, coach, what can they do? Hey, what can my kid do? What is he not doing? Where did he mess up? That's the question. Not, oh, you guys have it out for my child or you guys have it out for right. you know, me or whomever. You know, that, that's that's no way. That's to get the craziest it. one. Cause like obviously the coach wants to win. So why would yeah. you give up if, if your son truly is better? Why why would you not play the better player and, and hurt your chances of winning? That, that's just that is just so far from Chibit. But let's talk about this one, Obi. As far as fun stories, mm -hmm. you one of the things I always said about, about your biggest strength was strength you were an extremely powerful young man uh yeah. all of it all four of our big lifts that we tested you know your, your bench your incline you're a good cleaner you had good hips you could get under the bar and you know good, good range of motion great squat you were an incredibly good squatter so now i see you on instagram and you've got plates after plates on your deadlift and your squat you're yeah. a big strong guy that's how i would describe you man you are a big strong dude yeah fragrance i gotta yeah. admit your interest in <laughs> 
perfume or fragrance. I don't know what the, you know, like that, that interest is the last thing I would have envisioned this big swole dude, you know, throwing around six, seven plates in the weight room. You're into fragrance. So tell us about that, that, how you found that hobby. And, hey, I get it. I collect jerseys. I do weird stuff too. No, 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 I'm just joking. I'm not saying what you're doing is weird, but like, you know, I don't think anybody would have guessed that. Yes. What got you into fragrance? And then tell us about this project. You're actually, you're starting your own fragrance line. Yes. So uh, fragrance, oddly enough, um, you know, I know we talked about in the beginning, I'm, I was a big talker, you know, and I like talking people's ears off. Well, that started not being the case when I got out of high school. I was a bit more intro. I'm a bit more mild-mannered and introverted now than I was back then. Um, but what started happening is it was almost getting too introverted, right? I'd only speak when spoken to. I only speak during the podcast. And then um, fragrance came because um, I always like smelling good. I mean, I'm a big guy. The last thing I'm going to be is big and smelly. And that's never going <laughs> to happen. Right. So um, I, I think uh, it was one of those things just... I liked smelling good. I liked different scents, I liked different colognes, different aromas. Um, but then I couldn't always collect them. I didn't always have the money to collect them, right? So then when um, there was one of my favorite fragrances I had and I ran out of it. And when I went to Saks to go get it, they were like, oh, we don't longer, that that fragrance no longer exists. Oh, that hurts, yeah. Devastated, right? So then I spent like a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, how can I recreate that scent? What scent smells That's like? Dope. That is dope, dude. I, I did not know that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so- um, but you, started... you memorized what it smelled like. I mean, you knew yeah, exactly, yeah. And so, because it was one of those things, I always got compliments with it, coach. And so, you know, hey, you love you getting go. compliments from ladies. <laughs> you know, what so, else is there? So- um. I, that's how I kind of started. And then when I um, started working again, I would, uh, you know, one of the things I didn't, I don't buy a whole lot of stuff, but I like smelling good. So I went and bought my first fragrance as a professional. And that was kind of one of the things that kept me working hard is, hey, yeah. when you work hard and you get this money, uh, you know, once you pay all your bills, you can kind of, that's your thing you splurge on. That's your guilty pleasure. Just yeah. like you in Jersey. It's me in Jersey's. I am like so cheap in my entire life. I've wasted so much money on, I, I call it, my wife calls it wasted. Right. I love my collection. I'm so glad that I did it. I'm done. I'm, I have not bought any. I don't buy them anymore now that I have a kid because I have no money. <laughs> but anyhow, um, I get it, man. Totally get it. You got to. You got to have. Everybody's got to have something that they. That's their thing. Something. So. And so, um, yeah. I mean, I just started. It was one fragrance. Then I'm like, okay, second fragrance. Then another fragrance. Then another fragrance. Then you start watching YouTubers and they're giving all these top ten lists. That's a bad rabbit hole to fall under. By the yeah. way. You know, and so then now you look at it, Um, I have over 100 fragrances. I've acquired well over 120, 150 probably. Can I um, ask you this? You're you're yeah. the, the one. Okay, so I, I know you're about to talk about what you're creating on your own. But mm -hmm. you, you obviously you're collecting other people's stuff as well. You collect mm -hmm. other fragrances. Designer, but you're also going to have your own line. I remember mm -hmm. like back in the day, like dads would wear like Old Spice or like Brute Cologne, like, like aftershave, yeah. kind of like a, cologne, a real strong cologne. I don't yep. know if do people still do the fragrances you're describing. Right. Is it comparable to like Old Spice? No, it's or is not. it something different? Like what? Do you, what is it exactly? Because I, I know nothing about this topic. Obviously, I, my wife tells me all the time I smell terrible. So I, fragrance one on one, Coach Cole. Okay, right? this is good. There is body spray. Okay, like yep. Axe, Old okay, Spice, yep. Brute. There's that. That is what now, Old Spice. So again, in my day, it was in this white bottle that had like a little red cap in it. It was not a spray. It was actually it was a liquid. Right. And so you have that. That's still kind of more so like oil. Um, okay. That's kind of 
that's still I would classify that under the body spray category. That's okay. what you have to evolve away from. That's what okay. I, that's what I need to know. All society to evolve away from. Even my fourteen year old passion. I see your eyes like lighting up right now. This is hey, awesome. Even my fourteen year old kids, I tell them, hey, that that bottle of Axe, go ahead and put that in the trash. No, 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 no. Get it, get it away. Love it, love it. Love it. I, no, that is terrible. It like makes me cringe when I see it. Um, no, what you want is cologne, right? Yeah. As a guy, there's cologne for women, there's perfume, okay? Right, you'll hear perfumery, that's the name of the overarching right. umbrella. But men collect cologne and women collect perfume, right? right? There's uh, teenage cologne, male cologne, mid-20s, you know, even they call it more mature, more refined. And, and again, this me being a total, I know nothing about this, but like aftershave. Because it's also After something that six. smells good, and it's it's designed for like shaving. But like mm -hmm. it, that does that's something completely different. Or are they similar? Different. That's like a beauty care product, right? Gotcha. So that's one of those things. After you shave, it's only designed for aftershave. Cologne is your fragrance. Your and another question: Talk to me like I'm a five year old, but like, where do you put it? You like kind of dab it on your neck and your wrist. I've seen people put it on like their wrists and stuff. Like, where do you put the cologne? <laughs> See, that goes to the person that call it your fragrance personality. Everybody's different, right? Okay. So, um, you can be the type to, if you like, let's say you have like, there's fragrance oils and then there's fragrance off the bottle. There are certain people who spray what, what is called your intimate area where you're spraying your neck circumference, right? Right. There are people who are like me and are visual talkers. So you yeah. talk with your hands a lot there. You'll spray the wrist or your roll if you have a uh, yeah. roll on your wrist. And so bottom line, there's. I always say fragrance, the only wrong answer is you not, there's no wrong answer in fragrance, right? It's just about your personality, but the main thing is get away from the butt spray. But, right? okay, but you, you said like what you're using is some kind of spray. You said spray, yeah. so, or is it, or is it also can be like where you dab it on yourself? So you, you can, you can do both, right? So, you know, team player first, I'm going to go show coach Kovo my fragrance collection. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to explain all of this to you. So. Unfortunately, most people are going to be able to listen. But yeah. what happens is you have holy God! Wow! Oh my! I wish this is an audio only podcast. You got a lot. <laughs> I do, I do. So all of it this almost looks like kind of like a huge bar of like liquor. You know, <laughs> you got all these different bottles all over. The place. <laughs> all right. So all of what I just showed you is a. It's all cologne, right? Where yeah. you spray it, you spray it on your neck, on your wrists, on your clothes. And you do it that way. Okay. Yeah. Now there are things like fragrance oils where you roll them on. It's in a little bottle, a little vial, and you just roll that on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For people who may not be too big into cologne, those are better alternatives because they're less expensive and it's simpler. That right? might be the route I go. Are you going to create one of those with your own creation or is, is yours? A... I have that. So, so talk to us about your, like, like so I, I love the collection, but like, I'm really interested in your line. Like, how'd you get to that? Oh, 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 did you ever recreate that fragrance that you wanted? Because I know that's what you were talking about when I interrupted you. Did you ever figure it out the right concoction? I found something that smells similar to it. It's a fragrance that does exist. It's called Spice Bomb Eau de Toilette. So, Ooh. yeah, right. Spice Bomb. Oui. We. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, so, no. So, and so your your line is it the stuff you were trying to recreate? Is that now your line? Like basically, your line is that smell that you like, or you make a different smell for your line? Make a different smell. Um, so how I got into creating a whole fragrance business was um, I attended a gym here in Houston called Alpha Land, right? Alpha Land is from this Houstonian. His name is Christian Guzman, 
And what I started doing was, well, first of all, once I got this big collection, I wear fragrance every day, everywhere. You'll never see me mm. without a fragrance passion and me being a total nerd about it. Yeah. And what started happening is, well, I'm just, just another team player podcast first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I was, it was one of those things like I like smelling good and I wear fragrance even to the gym. You know, I, there's pre-workout drink, pre-workout snack, and pre-workout fragrance, right? Love it. That's, that's, that's awesome, that's me. And so I don't talk a whole lot, right? But then what started happening was, ooh, you smell good. Hey, what, what are you wearing? Oh, what is that? And then, you know, you start having conversations with people about, well, I collect this. This is what I'm wearing. This is what I have. Um, and then a guy I know, one of my friends now, uh, his name is Trey. Uh, him and I would... Um, I was like, okay, we're going to start this whole fragrance blog where I'm going to give people recommendations. Nobody does gym and fragrance together. Um, and so then we started approaching women in the gym because obviously guys smell okay. good for, for the ladies. So we start. I see what you're doing there. It's like mixing business of pleasure, perhaps, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't give away all my secrets, coach. But hey. nonetheless, um, we start uh, approaching women in the gym, just like, honestly, like, hey, excuse me, ma'am, miss, um, can I get your opinion on this fragrance? Does this smell good? Do you like this? Because I'm trying to get a gauge for you. It's like a consumer. Yeah, you're getting like consumer feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Consumer feedback. Cause I can wear it all day and I can like it, but do the masses like it. Do sure. The women like sure. It. So I would get them to rate the cologne for us. You know, Hey, I'm wearing this boom. And then that was my way of kind of also breaking introversion right of saying okay yeah. I, I can't personal just... growth for you there yeah yeah so it was a personal challenge of hey now you used to say you were shy now you're not shy anymore right because you actually put yourself in the line of fire and you approach people some people are receptive some people are not receptive some people whatever the case may be you have to literally work on rejection and approaching and not approaching how the whole fragrance business came about was we would start talking to these women and then they were like, well, do you have your own cologne? And I was like, own cologne, eh? I never thought of that, but I'm going to table that. And then it started becoming, do you have your own? Do you have your own? Do you have your own? Then other people I knew in the gym, do you have your own? So I'm like, okay, new challenge, new venture. Yeah. Let's see if I can make my own. So I started off with um, full brainstorm, getting creative. Now, Luckily, with having a podcast, I, I kind of have a little bit of creativity to me. So I was like, okay, first off, you got to think of a name, think of what you want it to embody, what you want it to betray. And then I was like, let me let me start off with as base level as I can. And I just, I went and bought a whole bunch of different um, essential oils that smell like different things. And I was at first custom making it. And then I'd take it to the gym and yeah. I'd have other people try it smelling. Right. Full collaborative, like, yeah. you know, hey, try this out. And the first few creations were flops, as is the case. <laughs> try something sure. new. And, you know, like, like, and having to go through that, right? Having to go through people literally like, oof, this is not, nah. This smells like ass. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, but, but having that resilience to keep on going and keep on trying different things. And then eventually I got good at the oil thing. Love it. And then my mom was like, now, if you're going to do this, why don't you just, you have to make that investment, Mike. This is a new venture. Why don't you just hire a reputable manufacturer and get them to do it? You create the profile and then you get them to make it. And so then 
I found a manufacturer. I found a person who can make the fragrance, make the bottle. Incredible. Like yeah. Are. And so then I did that. And so that's where we are. And then found the name. The name of the fragrance company is called Molit Fragrance. M-O-L-L-I-T Fragrances. Uh, Molit Perfumes. Uh, Molit in Latin is seductive. Now, seductive oh. is not the sexual innuendo okay. that might body seductive is about attracting people to you right your love attractive it. energy your seductive energy right your ability that's to fire man that's awesome <laughs> right because for me um i always say fragrance is your first impression to the world you want to be able to attract people through your first impression because you don't get a second chance and so with your fragrance what i'm trying to do is help people with these smells that don't smell like your typical run of the mill cologne, it smells different, and that's what allures people to you. So how do you? How do we buy it for fans that do, do are interested? So it'll be launching next month, hopefully. Um, I'll have a website open, but right for the time being, I have my oils, and you know you can purchase them. And then once the cologne starts, um, I'll launch it via social media. Um, I'll have a page open, and then people can purchase the fragrance that way. I, I'm gonna get some, man. I'm I'm not a I'm not a fragrance guy, but like I said, my my wife just the, today was complaining about how I <laughs> so I I need I need, a, I need a little bit of help in that department, man. So maybe you know I can help you. I can help anybody who needs yeah. fragrance questions. I mean, I do a fragrance blog too, where I do the recommendation side still. Where you know what kind of fragrance should I get? I I can help people with that. Obviously, having a big collection, but you know it's just um another passion project of mine, another hobby that I. Just figured out oh, you got to share with the world. You know, I was always told, hey, you have all this knowledge, all this brain power, you got to use it. And you got to, you know, that's another way of kind of helping people. Now, I've always said anything that helps people is me, you know, even with my other podcasts, uh, for insight, a lot of insightful people throughout my lifetime, my very short lifetime. Uh, I'll be 26. And we're recording this on Sunday. I'll be 26 tomorrow. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Happy early uh, birthday, man. No, I love you. I love your podcast, man. Can't wait for your new season to come out. I, I got to be a guest one time. That was really fun. But we're yeah. kind of coming down the home stretch here. Obi, we talk about favorite teams. Now, for you, I'm pretty sure when we talk a lot about sports, because we do the Roughnecks Pick'em podcast, but like you pretty much just like the Houston teams, right? There's no you're just With the the of the Texans. You don't like uh, the Texans, okay? So, but you like Rockets and Rockets Astros, I'll you know. support Astros. I support. Um I you know, when it comes to football, being that that was the sport I played, um, I'm I, I'm more so rock with teams that played certain styles. So like exactly. So you you may uh, not have a certain team that you've. It, it changes each year. You you, you like stylistic. Okay, I like that. Team. So like, so which teams are, are you kind of stand out to you that you like their style of play? Two thousands Ravens with Ray Lewis and that right. defense, and then ironically, I like their rival too. I like the Steelers. I like that team. Oh yeah, I love the consistency uh, of Coach Tomlin and what he's done. Incredible. Yep, and even uh, Coach Cower. Um, yep. And then in uh, the two thousand Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and that Chiefs team, I mean, I love love them. Um, I like that two thousand seventeen Eagles team. Um, not just because they won the Super Bowl, but I like the way they played, where it was fun and it was high flying. But they also played good defense. Any team that has a great defense and a great defensive line, you always gonna see. I like the Legion of Boom. Um, who else? I like even I'll say this. As a Texans fan, I like the Kubiak, uh, Wade Phillips, Texans teams from 2011 mm -hmm. to 13. I like that team because 
I mean, they they got after you, and it was bad. I mean, zone blocking scheme, Arian Foster, Ben Tate, yeah. Matt Schaubacher, Johnson. Then you had Brooks Reed, Connor Barwin, JJ Watt, and D'Amico Ryan's, who's now the head coach. Yeah, um, I love those teams. Um, D Hop, Sean Watson, you know, unfortunately, but. Yeah, uh, just it's it's about style of play and what type of team philosophy you had as far as football is concerned in basketball. Um, obviously, the Rockets, um, any team LeBron is on. I'm a LeBron fan. Um, from four years old, it was Shaq. I was a Shaq fan. Me and Bernard were. So I like the Shaq, Kobe Lakers, Dwayne Wade and his Miami Heat teams. I like Dwayne Wade. Um, the Heatles with LeBron, Chris Bross and D. Wade. And then yeah. from there, um, any Cavs team LeBron was on, that 2020 uh, LeBron team. And then I like the Memphis Grizzlies now with John Morant. Yeah. Uh, they they got that old school kind of like dogging them a little bit. Right. Um, I like them. And then, well, I mean, just I love teams that played hard and played with consistency, share the ball, and play with the right – play the right way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's do this, man. For, I'm I'm put you on the spot here. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but since you kind of have like fandom all over the place, we're gonna do a Ridgepoint High School Mount Rushmore. So you were part of that team that was 12 and one. Now I'm gonna take yourself out of it, but okay. if you look around that team and all the different personalities, and there's so many. If you had to pick your top four, so Mount Rushmore, you know, mm-hmm. four people, who would be the four guys? I'm, I'm stalling here to give you time to think because we didn't talk about this beforehand, but. Mm-hmm. Who would be the four guys that if you had to make a Mount Rushmore just of that team, that 20 was 2014 team? Yeah. What what faces would you put on that Mount Rushmore that were kind of just like the faces of the program for that magical season? Jeez, coach, you're killing me here. Uh see, we rolled deep. How are you gonna do this? We rolled deep. We we won in the same. But if I had to pick four. Who are kind of the heartbeats of that team, man? Like, cause, like you were inside of it. So, like, I, you know, because coaches, we have opinions. But from a – let's put it this way. From a player yeah. perspective, who yeah. were your best teammates? Like, you know what I mean? Like, who were the guys that you felt like just – I don't know. They were the heartbeat of the team. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I got who, you. Was, who was the soul of the team? Remus Bulmer. Remus Bulmer. I would agree. Yeah. That's a good one. Sure. I mean, you can't – you just – there's no slicing it. Uh, he added that level of ain't nobody messing with us. He, you know, we kind of were – before he he and Jamil transferred back, transferred back, um, it was like, all right, we're gonna be good and you know, we're gonna be solid and you know, we're gonna have a good season. But then when they got back, it was like, oh no, nah, okay. Totally. It reminded yeah. me when the Astros got Verlander. Yep. That's you exactly. know, it, that's what it reminded me of. And like there's a my favorite movie of all time is a movie Major League. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's like 1989. So you're not even born probably, but uh, you know, but 1989, and there's a famous scene where like the catcher, Jake Taylor. He says, only one thing left to do, win the whole fucking thing. And that's, that's that is what, and I remember when the Astros got Verlander, uh, Josh Reddick texted that or, uh, you know, tweeted that meme of, of them saying, that's how I felt with, with, with Remo, man. When he, when he showed up, it's like, well, there's only one thing left for us to do, and that's to win this district championship, you know? And yeah. so I totally agree with you. And Remo's really helped our defense that spring because the, I'm like, they first off switched their blocking scheme to base blocking. And so then, you know, we talk. I know we don't talk about X and O's, and I'm not trying to get long-winded here. But in terms of me really being a nose and understanding how to have dominance in nose, I knew going into that year, based on the challenge Remus gave us and like that type of running back, where Steve Ann and Dan really got good at. I feel like at tackling an open field one-on-one, yeah. right? What my mindset was in our scheme was, 
when I would watch film, if if the offense had to waste two guys blocking me, it was going to be a tough day for them. Right. Because if you have to double team me, you've wasted two of your five bodies. That means you're even leaving Torian Williams one on one. He's going to win. He's going to win that every time out of a four technique. Win that, you can't yep. scoop him. No, ain't going to happen. Um, you're going to leave Kaiser one on one. He's got dog in him. Yep. And then if you have to waste all your bodies blocking us, well, now you've left Dan and Steven and Kai and Cam Townsend and Jay Jack to be able to read and react and get to the ball carrier. So that, that's that. Just Remus helping our defense really excel to a new level, I felt. So Remus, boom. One shout out for Remus, though, just like how you're the, you're the king of fragrance. He is the king of cars. So if Absolutely. you are in the market for any luxury car, so it's out of my price range, so I'll never be one of his customers, but he's, he works for a luxury car dealership, and he is the best salesman. He he personally washes your car. <laughs> he yes. sells it to you, man. I, his personality is infectious, man. I love his positivity. So yeah, go go check out Remus Bulmer if you're if you're in the market for a new automobile. Then I would go Kaiser Saint Cyr for sure. Oh um, yeah, Mr. Panther, Mr. Panther. I mean, really wore Mr. Panther. Yep. Really wore RP on his sleeve. Really was the ultimate teammate. I mean, he was the type to like when I'd have tough times, he would always try to instill confidence in me. You know, when I'd have tough days, like hey man. I appreciate you being in the weight room here with me every single day. The we candy man, out. Kaiser St. Cyr. It's Lord, you know, always had, had me ready and stocked up on that as much as I <laughs> need to stay away from it. Um, and then just, you know, he, he really gave his all to the he program, did. you he know. Did. So we have that. These last two, Torian Williams for that team. Torian, that's a good one. I Torian like that. Williams. No, that's my D line, but that's but it is it is what it is. Torian's confidence and just had every now and again he'd throw in that little bit of a comic relief in us when he would feel it being serious. You know, Very I remember funny. when we played Marshall, we were it was zero zero at halftime, I think, and we were kind of frustrated, like we can't score. Why are we up by more points? And you know, there was this guy, Apollos Hester on Twitter, and he was known for I remember that guy. <laughs> I remember. I know exactly what you're talking about. We started off slow. We started off real slow. And that's okay because sometimes in life you're going to start slow. And I just remember we were all frustrated. We're Tim, we're on edge. And Torian just walks in, just real calm. Torian, like, hey guys, they had us in the beginning. We started off slow. We started off real slow. And all of us bust out laughing. And then we're like, all right, all right, all right, let's just take care of that. That is great. I love that, man. But that's three. Number four. No more D linemen for you left to pick. You already picked both your D linemen. So you got two on defense and one on offense, which I respect. This is it. Your last one here. Who would you throw in there, man? Man, this one's tough. This one's tough. Are you down to two people? If you're down to two people, let's just make it five. Let's not let's not leave. I anyone. bet if I can make it five, I'll let's go do that. Cam let's do five. Let's do our top five. Cam Townsend and Tyler Turner. Connor and Townsend, that's okay. Yep, love it. Cam Townsend, because for a guy who was as heavily recruited as he was, was probably one of the best teammates I ever had. Was one of my favorite teammates. Absolutely. You know, you you talk about, and he used to get criticized about it. We used to talk about it. Um, People thought that he not was too nice, but didn't have the arrogance of a five star or four star athlete. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah. Until y'all meet Miss Tina and his dad, Mm -hmm. Tina scared me. I remember the first time I met I met her, yeah. and uh, you know she's giving me a ride home, and she just looks at me real seriously like, "What's your number?" 
like what was your football number i was like uh 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 uh, uh, uh yeah 56. she had you stuttering you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and uh she's like give yeah, me say like you know it was one of those things but she was a wonderful lady you know very very supportive one of our biggest fans one of the loudest fans and, yes. and he, you know when miss townsend was at the game um and and she raised she raised cam the right way and yep. uh you know he had very respect for all his teammates you know was very supportive so definitely i got those thousand then tyler turner the reason why i'm saying him is because one great teammate but he was that you know we used to joke about tyler turner being able to run for president one day and he had that level of confidence and demeanor of like yeah i'm serious because this is business and we know how to take care of business and we're all confident we all know how to do this right but knew how to be one of the guys too so he was the ultimate leader he, he kind of gave us that like we're businessmen at the end of the day yes we know how to have fun but we also know this is what it means to be a professional too so I love Tyler Turner at TNT. You know, we call him because like he had that swag. He had that kind of walk. He had that walk where he would, and he had the giant old biceps. Man, that dude was strong. But he would swing his biceps and basically yep. strut around in the secondary. And I really, I honestly do feel that way. That like, I don't know, like uh, you you want like a, a physical enforcer at the safety position that intimidates yep. people. And he right. had that swagger that he was a hard hitting safety and he was physically strong and he had a lot of personality and attitude. And right. uh, yeah, man, that, you did a great job, man. Great job yeah. picking picking your top five. Well, defensive heavy, but I, I think that's okay. We had a great defense that year, so I'll probably go with you there. But uh, shout out to Remo for for cracking uh, that top five. And uh, man, Obi, this has been so much fun. Uh, mm. You know, I, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, again, please hit that follow button to subscribe. Hear the new episodes. Take the it takes five seconds to hit five stars. So please give us a rating if you haven't done that yet. If you'd like to leave a written review, I definitely want to read those. You can hit me up at uh, teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. We take uh, recommendations. We're basically a, a family here. So we a lot of time, a lot of these uh, guests are recommendations. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. One of them just made Obi's Mount Rushmore. Kaiser St. Cyr created our cover art, which is just so dope. I love it. It's, it's, it's fire, man. Kaiser's drawing skills are incredible. And our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. He's also been a guest on your podcast. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. He's a former Clements High School football player uh, is how I know him. And, uh, man, Obi, thank you. Thank you again for coming on the show, man. It's been a true pleasure to kick off season two. Um, well, thank you for having me, Coach, and thank you for all you've done for me. You know, just uh... – being my coach and being my mentor and, you know, just being able to guide me in the right direction all these years and stay in contact. And, uh, you know, all our projects we've been able to launch, you know, individually and together collaboratively. I mean, I appreciate all you do and all that you continue to do, Coach. Most definitely. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily But now I got a legacy, 